Blog Talk Radio. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Y'all know what time it is. It's time for the big football party. It's time for In Much Less Detail, the podcast, here with you live on a Friday night, January the 4th, 2019. That's right, the new year has begun. The playoff season is about to start tomorrow, and we are here with your picks for the first four games of the playoffs wild card weekend. It's always such an exciting time. I'm Dre, he's Jay. We are in the house and ready to rock and roll. Two hours live here talking about week 17 in the NFL. How do we get to the playoffs? How do we get our eight teams set up for this weekend and four teams on by ready for next weekend? And what do we have in store starting tomorrow and continuing into Sunday? It's the, it's, such a great time of the year. I'm so excited. I can't wait for playoff football. Uh, Jay, we had an eventful, of course, week 17. I have can't to, wait. I have to hit myself there because I used the can't wait. Uh, what uh, what stood out to you about week 17 outside of the obvious, which is you were right, Kirk Cousins can't win the big one. Oh, well, what do you mean aside from that? That that was my that was going to be my, my gloat of the ah. week. Was you know not only uh, not only using the Bears' recent history to to inform that pick a little bit, but knowing that Kirk Cousins was going to come up small once again and and deny the Vikings that signature win, no. uh, basically a season of bum slaying, probably the most disappointing healthy team in the league. I mean, without a doubt, they they went from the NFC Championship game to out of the playoffs after they basically only changed the quarterback position. They, you know, going, they went from Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins and ended up missing out on the playoffs, losing to a team that wasn't playing for basically anything. And they couldn't, they couldn't get anything going against the bears. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back. That, that definitely uh, stood out to me in a, in a season where I, I, Definitely was on the wrong side of a, of a lot of picks. Uh, that one that one felt pretty good. Yeah, I'm still surprised. Uh, the Vikings' defense, to me, uh, really let them down. I thought they were going to come out on fire at home, and they, they could not hold the Bears down. And Kirk Cousins, of course, was, was Kirk Cousins. So that part wasn't too surprising. But, yeah, they just as a team – we're not there uh, all year. They had a brain fart with the coaching as well. It was pretty much a, a team collapse uh, on Sunday against uh, Chicago. Uh, God, uh, Mike Zimmer, what was that play that he just uh, – they, they were trying to run a fourth-and-one sneak, I think, with Cousins, and they got it. But right before he got it, the, the, he called a timeout or something like that. So everybody was messing up, the, the coaching, the offense, the defense. It was it – was, really a total team effort to, to to completely fart away the season by the Vikings. They should be very proud yeah. of themselves. And and even late, you know, about halfway through the fourth quarter when the Bears cleared the bench on defense, right. the Vikings still couldn't. Basically, they were still going three and out. 
So the Vikings starters were just putting up three and outs against the Bears scrubs. Yeah, uh, Mike Zimmer challenged uh, the spot of the ball right before the snap, erasing his own uh, fourth down <laughs> conversion. Which that's just it's genius. total disconnect. Geniusness. <laughs> so, yeah, and you had some of your typical, you know, you, you had scratching, you know, you had you had scratchers in week 17. Um, I, I guess you're not going to be able to get away from any of that. You know, the the of course the the Panthers beat the Saints. I believe you were on that one. Of course, the Lions beat the Packers 31 to nothing. Oh, everyone should have had that one, right? Uh, saving the Packers, only the tie, saving them from my prediction of a worst place finish, by the way. <laughs> so they had the Packers in last place and getting their coach fired. And the only thing that saved that from happening for the Packers was that tie. The, the game I had to languish through. The, the, the game worst that you football were there game I've ever been to. <laughs> yes, the game I saw live. The, the game of no resolution. That they, that made me want ties to not be a thing in the NFL. Having to sit through it. It's one thing to have it on TV, but that feeling in the stands was one of the strangest feelings I, I've ever had. Just like, okay, let's go. Game's over, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for wasting three and a half hours of your life. You got a tie. The game in which uh, the Packers could have easily lost the game and could have yes. easily won the game as well, and wound up right. neither. So it was a fitting it was a fitting conclusion to the game, but not not what I think paying fans want to go and, and see. Um, yeah, both teams. Yeah, well, the Packers uh, blew a huge lead in that game in the fourth quarter, and then missed. You know, both teams were botching field goals. I believe it was the game that got the Vikings kicker. Was it four field goals in that game? Uh, and he wasn't well, missing I, them from like long distance. So it was just all around just a terrible game. Two field goals and two extra points or something like that. Yeah, it was it was ugly. Four kicks. Yeah, it sounds about right. So uh, I did want to give you credit for the Eagles uh, getting into the playoffs due to the Vikings oh, collapse. You. That you uh, you said the Philly was a wounded animal, and you you weren't kidding because they're definitely wounded. They got their uh, star quarterback, the Super Bowl champ, and, and the MVP from last year. He's nice and wounded and bruised up, and yet they still managed to beat Washington, and, and the Eagles claimed that last playoff spot. You can't keep the underdogs down, brother. It, I guess apparently that's just what they need, right? they got to be I mean, the they, underdogs. They, they, their season was over. They were they were done for and had to basically go on this. You know, They had to win out and get help. And got it all. Got every last bit, every last bit of help that they need. And, and you know, we talk about that four or five weeks before the end of the season. There's going to be that one team. You know, you could basically say the Eagles were the anti-Steelers, right? The team who had everything going their way, everything laid out before them, and then proceeded to just crap the whole thing away. Right, the team that needed to step up in the biggest moment to save their season and one team definitely did it and the other team definitely did not. Yeah. Although the Steelers won the game, but they still had lost enough bad games to bad teams earlier in the season yep. where that one last victory over the Bengals didn't really matter. And they almost tried, they tried, they tried to lose that game. Uh, yeah. You know, that was the mysterious Antonio Brown didn't play. So it's funny now that Antonio Brown, he's the problem, right? First, Bell. Now it's all EB's fault, you know. 
Um, I, I'm still putting this all on. You know where I'm putting this all? I'm putting this all on the coach. That, that's just a team that's out of control. Tomlin's lost that locker room. And, you know, Tomlin's talking about all these changes that need to be made. Well, look in the mirror, buddy. Man, the best thing that team does is find scapegoats. They are so yeah. good at it. They are all-time all-pros at finding scapegoats in Pittsburgh. That is what they do best, better than anything. Yeah, especially and, for a team that loses games to teams they have no business losing to. Um, but all of that, and the Browns were right there at the end of that uh, Browns-Ravens game and could have still backed the Steelers into the playoffs if Baker Mayfield could pull off one final drive, like 30 more yards, and they're kicking for a chance to knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. This is true. Uh, it would have been fluky as hell, though, because Baltimore dominated that game pretty much for three quarters. Uh, yeah. Cle- the, the funniest part about that is Cleveland is stacking the box, right, to stop Baltimore from running all over the place. Baltimore is running all over the place anyway. They they just didn't give a damn. They ran up and down on the Browns. The Browns had every the entire city of Cleveland was in the box. LeBron James was in the box trying to stop Baltimore from running, and the Ravens just ran on him anyway. The Ravens yeah. still pull out the win, but uh, uh, lost the cover, uh, which should have pissed you off because you had them as the lock. Yep. Yeah. Well, that that uh, cost me that cost me the locks championship after mm-hmm. you got one of the world's cheapest pushes, <laughs> in the Falcons Bucks game. Like how in the world did that wind up a push? A game that I believe the Buccaneers were up like twenty-one to nothing. <laughs> and and next thing you know, yeah. Atlanta's just rallying hey, I know, back I, and. I give the Falcons full credit for storming back and, and, and finishing a season that easily uh, could have gone four and 12 uh, to pull out seven and nine. I, I honestly, I look at that. I mean, I, you know, people know we've listened to the show. I'm a Falcons fan and there's no, you know, there, there's nothing great when you look at seven and nine, but when you look at the way that that team was decimated and, and still somehow squeaked out seven wins just on pretty much sheer will and, and, and talent, um, you know, they they showed why people think that they're not that far away. Well, you may be the Falcons fan, but one of us picked them to win the Super Bowl next year based on their comeback yeah. this year. I've, I've already early, that might pick. be the earliest Super Bowl prediction ever. Oh, definitely the, on this show or between you and I, definitely that's this is the playoffs haven't started yet for this year, and I've already picked the Super Bowl champ for next year. <laughs> definitely the earliest pick. So, so yeah, yeah, a lot to like there. But the defense, you know, they 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 played. But I think both of us in a push, we can both point at things and go, yeah, see, I told you so. And yeah, I, the Bucks shredded them. But Tampa Bay then gives it right back, and you end up with a Falcons or minus two on the road and win by two. Yeah, if any, if there's any time that you want to lay down and and give it up when you're down twenty-one to nothing in week seventeen on the road yeah. and nothing to play for. There's no playoff spot on the line. There's no reason to rally. The other team isn't playing for a playoff spot, so you're not pulling that card out. Well, we got to keep playing because they got something on the line, and we don't want to lay down. There's no reason for Atlanta to come back in that game, and they did it anyway because they just know that they're better than that. And that's that's that organizational pride. That's professional professional pride. Dan Quinn, uh, I think, has a a good core there, and and, uh, 
I found it curious that he got rid of the the D coordinator. He's going to call the plays himself defensively. Yeah. That he thinks they already have everybody. Be, uh, no, they didn't just get rid of some guys. They got rid of the OC, the DC, right, the special teams coach. It, it. I hate to say it, but it, it feels kind of like what we went through with the Packers, where they kind of cleaned the house, and that leaves the head coach now out on the island. This is right. This is going to be Dan Quinn's kind of show me season next year because. You know, you're the one left. <laughs> so, you know, he he molded. He's trying to mold that defense after what he had in Seattle. I think he knows what he wants, and I don't think the Marquand Manual was giving him that. And we know that the Steve Star Sarkeesian thing wasn't working out. But this is no. pretty much Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's on an island in 2019. I like that though. I I think that's. Uh, you know, put your put all your cards in the middle of the table, all your chips in the yep. middle, and say I'm all in, and this is all on me. And uh, he knows, he knows that team is much better than what happened this year. He knows they got decimated by all those defensive injuries, and that they've got a, a great core player still there. And when they come back, that they're going to make a run. He knows all of that, and he he knows that this is uh, the way to, to to get his guys in there that he wants on his coaching staff, and and make it really all about. All right, this is what I believe in. These guys believe in the same philosophies that I do, and now I can start fresh and go with these players that are coming back from injury and completely start all over next year. Just a complete fresh start. I really do like that move. I think uh, there's a lot of times that we remember a coach going rogue like that and and getting rid of the whole staff, and he's the only one left, and it doesn't work out, and, and he winds up being fired immediately. But there's some times where it does work out, and and the guy decides to put all his chips in and winds up being the kingpin and being the next big tuna. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that Dan Quinn is the next Bill Parcells, but I'm saying sometimes <laughs> it works out. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm and I guess uh, shift gears a little. I'm going to say I'm, I, I'm, you know, when you blow your locks and we t- we finished the year tied, so there's no points on the line for the locks. I could have used that extra point, but you know, I'll, I'm happy I didn't. I'm not happy. I'm giving. I'm happy. I'm not giving you a point. So I'll, I'll take the fact that we just completely washed on it. But then you go back. You always look at the results. And it's like, so yeah, I didn't. Why wouldn't I have taken the Colts going yeah, up against too. Blaine freaking Gabbert? I said the same thing in my head. I'm like, really, yeah. really? This this wasn't my lock. Why was this not my lock? This yeah, is so that, obvious. Because we were both all over that one. Yeah. And yeah, it went and, exactly like we thought it would. And yeah, of course I didn't take the Colts as my lock to to just roll up the Titans without Marcus Mariota. And, oh man. And well, we, when we were picking, it wasn't official that Mariota was going to be out yet. We thought ah, that there was a oh, chance that yeah. he was going to hobble out there with his bad yeah. arm and try to try to play through it. And we knew that was going to be a disaster because we've seen him this Either year way. try to play through a bad arm. Right. Like they didn't start rolling until he got healthy. Right. That offense, that Titans offense looked completely different once Marcus Mariota kind of proved. I think it was the Dallas game when all of a sudden you're watching, you're like, oh, 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 that's different. I don't know what I'm seeing out of Marcus Mariota, but is that downfield passing? Wow, look at that. Yeah, look at how much more explosive that Titans offense is when they can throw the ball more than eight yards. And me sort of keeping an eye on the point spreads this weekend more closely than ever, probably, uh, because oh, of uh, sure. being alive in the uh, the NFLPickWatch.com contest. Yeah. I noticed that when that uh, call got made, 
to, that Mariota won't be playing, and it was Blaine Gabbard, immediately the Colts became a, a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite. That just right there, money started flooding yeah. in on the Colts. Like, oh, Blaine Gabbard? We'd much rather take the Colts with a healthy Blaine Gabbard on the other side than we would with a hurt Marcus Mariota. That was just that, – that made – that made it crystal clear how people regard Blaine Gabbard and as well they should, because he's terrible. So I guess the hell that begs the question, did, did you win? I, well, I don't, I, I don't quite know. The oh. reason I don't quite know is because for the regular season, yes, I finished a game ahead of anyone else in the win column. And I had a lot more, uh, a lot less losses than the other people in the loss column because, uh, again, as I talked about before, that some of those games I didn't pick uh, because I wasn't on the website all year. So there's a couple of games here and there where I, I didn't have a pick. But, yeah, for the regular season, I finished with more wins, and so I thought that meant I won the championship and actually made a, a little comment on the site. that They have a comment section below the uh, the picks page. And I said something because I, I – I, I beat the uh, their their experts. I beat all their experts percentage wise. I believe one of their experts had like one more win than me total on the season, but he also had more losses because again I didn't pick every game. So percentage my percentage was better than anyone on the site expert or fan right. And I left a comment uh, that said, "Who survived the pick contest by one game and had a better percentage than all the experts? I should get a piece of the website." Uh, nobody responded to that, thankfully, because that was, uh, in retrospect, a, a really shitty, uh, snotty comment to make, and I probably shouldn't have done that, but I did it. Um, but my point was, I was thinking that it was over. I thought that I had won, I had survived, because the regular season was over. Well, I, I get there, back to the page uh, Monday, thinking I'm, I'm going to see like the administrators leave some sort of comment about my comment, or some sort of comment about what the prize is for whoever won. There were no comments at all. Instead, what did I find? Point spreads for the wild card game up, and our, our records are still exactly the same. And whatnot. So I guess this continues oh, into the playoffs. Okay. They're, they're still not saying anything about any kind of prize. Uh, they, all they've said was uh, there'll be prizes for these contests, and we'll announce them at a later date, and they still haven't announced. So. I guess it's still ongoing is, is the answer, but I don't actually really know. And I guess the other question, the, the thing everybody wants to know, how did the coin do? The coin had an off season, uh, had an oh. off, uh, had an off week 17. Uh, the coin only went six and nine. Wow. Uh, very surprising. We both for one of the rare times, maybe only the second time ever, we both beat the coin. I went eight and seven, and you went nine and six. So we were both better than the coin, and that's always cause for trouble. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell we can you, both what. beat the coin. That's always a good thing. It, any, I will, I will pat myself on the back. Anytime you can put up a nine, six, and one in week seventeen. In week seventeen, with all that garbage going on, the second Look. worst week of the year uh, after week two, um, the big football games. I, honestly, I think week two is the worst uh, in the whole year because you get all of the week one overreaction in week two. And either Dre didn't like that comment or I think he may have just dropped off the site. So 
I'll, I'll, I'll muddle through here. If uh, people don't uh, can't uh, can't hear, I'm fighting a little bit of a little bit of a head cold here, so I've got the sniffles. So I've got my handy dandy cough button here, but I'll, I'll take another moment to bask in the glory of a nine six and one in week seventeen, which is uh, infamous for torpedoing some seasons for both of us over the years, and exactly the reason why we pick against a freaking dime, which I still actually have sitting right here on my computer desk. I will try to have it get an honorary spot so when we move into to 2019 unless Andre takes over the coin flipping responsibilities again so we get the 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 show of of him you know like floundering around on the floor looking for the coin after it rolled under his computer desk or fell into a shoe so we get to see if we get any of that so hopefully he'll be back here any moment Dre are you back Hopefully, I'm not the one who's not on the show anymore. That would be awkward, talking to myself. No, it says I'm still here. So we're going to be going into week, uh, the wild card weekend, which, uh, you know, this will, be, this will be a fun one, I think, once we actually start getting into the picks here for the wild card weekend. You know, the, the, the playoffs are always just a whole different level. You know, everything's a highlight game at this point, and especially for a show where we've kind of given up on the idea of doing highlight games. It's going to be interesting to kind of go on back and, especially for Andre, who I'm sure is going to have all sorts of stats for us on all these games, trying to do a little bit bigger, more of a deeper dive and picking out the uh, our X factors, which is sort of the little mini game within a game that we play against each other, where we where we try to like outsmart each other by, by picking the player that we think is going to have a, a major impact on the game. And we don't do the X factor where, you know, it's like we're going to watch Indy and Houston go, I think the X factor is going to be Deshaun Watson. No, we're we're trying to go a little bit, a little bit more off the script. Try to find somebody a little bit more obscure, which is sort of the fun of uh, of the X factor. And we we've both had some uh, some great hits and uh, some obvious misses. We miss way more than we hit when it comes to X factors. But when we hit, boy, do we let people know about it and and, and really kind of rub it into the other. Uh, we've had some pretty famous names that we've that we've thrown up as as x factors over the years so that's always fun to talk about when we start getting into the picks and seeing uh, not only because that also helps inform our pick because in a lot of cases not always sometimes famously we will take the x factor from a losing team but sometimes you know it's, it really does help because we think that we're, maybe we see a guy who we, we think is actually going to have an impact on a game and help inform our pick that you just don't normally look at excuse me for a moment here All right, had to hit the old cough button and get that out of me. So hopefully, hopefully I am not talking to myself at the moment. Hopefully Dre will be back. Right, Dre, are you back? Uh oh. Okay. Well, maybe at this point, if the show is not ended, I will try to call back in. Am I on the air? Are are you there? Mm-hmm. I'm here. I I can hear you. Okay. I don't know what happened. Did you disconnect? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I, I kept I kept talking 
thinking that I was the only one on the show. But then after a few minutes, I was like, you know, I'm going to try to call back in. So I just jumped back on here uh, just now. So hopefully it was only dead air for about 45 seconds or a minute there. So it sounds like you're back on the phone line. Yeah, because I can't connect on the uh, on the computer line again. Oh, wow. You just went. You just went complete dead silence. I thought it was like, wow. I, it was, I thought you just got fed up with all of my patting myself on the back there. Oh please! Uh, you know, as much patting on the back as I do for myself. No, I could not possibly get fed up with that. So no, that was just. So yeah, so I, I had just talked a little bit and filibustered. So it's good to be back. Good to have you back. And it's good to be back with Blog Talk Radio and all their connection issues again. Boy, this is yeah, we love really it. getting tiresome. We love it. Happy New Year. <laughs> yes, happy Happy New Year indeed. Um, so, yeah, we were – I don't even remember exactly what we were talking about. We were excited about beating the coin. So that, yeah, that, that's, that's right. We, we did. We were, yes, we were excited about our, our, our football picks being better than the flip of a coin. <laughs> As well, we should, because usually it's not. So we have reason to be excited about that. Right. The whole reason we flip the coin is because in many years we've been humbled by it. Indeed. Um, so we're very happy about that. I was very ha- happy about the fact that the reason I'm up one game on the uh, NFL Pick Watch site is because I did indeed take my own advice uh, breaking down the two games in which I was under 500 for the season with both of the teams involved. Um, and picking the opposite of what I wanted to pick. And I won both those games. I went 2-0 and picking against myself uh, in those two games, and that's why I, I have the one-game lead. So um, I guess I have to – I don't know what lesson to learn from that. I guess I have to do that more often is pick against myself when I'm uh, when I'm clearly uh, clueless on what those two teams are, are doing uh, for the season. I, you know I, that Jacksonville and Houston. But that only clueless. works until – that only works until – you lose one. Right. And then you're like, ah. Eagles and Washington was the other one. And... Yeah. Well, just the fact, okay, well, just the fact that you wanted the Redskins and had to switch yeah. should tell me something. Tells you that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing picking a Redskins game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I also wanted the Jaguars. Yeah. And Blake Bortles. I... Yeah, so both of yeah, so you ended up so I could have really uh, done some damage to you if you just would have listened to yourself. Damn it! <laughs> Finally, I got smart enough not to listen to myself. Uh, took long enough. Oh well, but yeah, so yeah, both of us uh, on the plus side in week seventeen, and uh, we will we will take that. I was very happy about that. A uh, few games that we talked about before that I had the uh, extra observations and notes that I wanted to talk about. We already covered how Kirk Cousins can't win the big one. It looks like he never will. Um, he, he tried to show Adam Thielen how to run some routes while he was in the middle of losing all the, losing his poise and all that, and that didn't go very well. Uh, I believe the Mikes picked up uh, at one point Thielen uh, was trying to run a corner route and it was incomplete and on third down. And when they go back to the sideline, the cameras uh, caught Cousins yelling at Thielen saying, I don't have 10 seconds. I guess meaning, you know, if you're going to make your break, go ahead and make it because I can't stand back here forever because the Bears are coming to kill me. Um, And Thielen did not appreciate being told how to run routes. So everything was coming apart for the Vikings there. They had the brain fart with uh, Mike Zimmer that I talked about earlier. And then the uh, 
around the NFL podcast, those guys, uh, I should learn their names because they really had some some gems this week. Uh, you always talk in general about Cousins uh, being a bum slayer and not doing well when he has to play a, a team that has a winning record. And we, we, we kind of know in general that that's a, a problem with him, but we never went and did the research and tried to figure out, well, someone on the Around the NFL podcast did the research and found out that Kirk Cousins in his career, are you ready for this one? Kirk Cousins in his career, including the Redskins and now the Vikings, against winning teams, 4-25. and 25. Four yeah. and twenty-five versus winning I, I, teams in his career. I had heard a, I had heard a stat pretty similar to that a few weeks ago, and I know I, I sort of paraphrased it on the show because you know I don't like to you know extol the stats that I just don't know. So, but but I knew that I knew the record was just horrendous. That's and, unbelievable. You know, oh yeah, that's 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 you, Jackson, bad. I think that's Rich Kotite bad. That is awful. <laughs> but but Kirk Cousins will absolutely compile a bunch of stats. He is one of the greatest stat compilers. And, and he's cash. I'll tell you what, those, those checks are cashing too. So he's compiling some say, money. He's going to make uh, triple figure million dollars in his career compiling stats and losing almost every time he plays a team with a winning record. That is yeah. amazing. With that Vikings team, which is loaded. Yeah, uh, but again, the, the defense for some reason took a step back this year. So it was not not all cousins, not not completely, but he definitely shares uh, his fair share of blame there. Uh, we talked about the Pittsburgh culture uh, resulting in this Antonio Brown mess. Yep. Now um, they almost lost to Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore game uh, that we referenced. I was uh, talking about how uh, the the Ravens were destroying the Browns and really should have covered that number. Uh, there are a couple of major plays in there. Uh, if Lamar Jackson breaks the plane up twenty to seven oh, in the second was... quarter, he had a play where yeah, he, oh, was, he goes up one. to break the plane to the goal oh. line and gets scared of it getting stripped, so he pulls it back like literally three inches before he would have crossed the goal line. He pulls it back and winds up getting stripped and fumbled the ball. But so if he would have broke that plane, that, that was called a touchdown, right? Was it ruled a touchdown? It was ruled a touchdown on the field. And then they overturned. How do you overturn that? You're putting supreme trust in that goal line camera right down the line that showed that he came yeah. like so if fingernails that, short. If that camera is off axis by an inch. Yeah. So, and you had to almost. Uh, you you had to freeze frame that right at the exact spot and see that there was maybe the tiniest little sliver gap between the ball and the line. I mean, I don't know how you overturn that in Baltimore, no less. Could you imagine if that had been like the end of the game? Ooh, and yeah, they had might called not have made that. it off the field. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I I saw that play, and I knew that it had I knew that it had big time impact on the on on the final and on the spread. But the Ravens to, still had a you know they still had that covered, except for giving up some some final charges uh, to to Baker Mayfield and the Browns. So the Ravens still took care of business and and couldn't cover. Lamar Jackson had another. Uh, Michael Vick like touchdown you run. You, did you, you see that run? You texted me right. about the first one. Yeah. Yes. The first one, I couldn't me. believe. 
He seriously ran right up the gut, and the, the, the Browns players, and that's not a slow defense. The Browns players looked like they were stuck in mud, like they were running in slow motion, and Lamar Jackson yeah. just like ran all, by all of them. Before they could last, yeah, that. very, uh, very, very Vic-like. He had another one in the third quarter that got called back by a, a BS holding penalty yeah. on Max Williams. If they don't call that stupid flag, uh, then that's that, that's another way that they cover. Yeah, there there are plenty of ways that Baltimore could have covered that spread. They dominated that game, and and really it was a the fluke that Cleveland was able to come back and cover that. Uh, and the Iranian NFL podcast had a, a, another gem about this one. They uh, point out that the, the defense marries well with the uh, Baltimore offense because the offense murders the time, time of possession. They just kill the clock. They, you can't do anything about that, and it allows the defense to just bring hell on, on blitzes uh, on defense, knowing that the opposition has to look for big chunk plays because they only have such a limited time because they don't really have the football very long. And it really is uh, sort of a tit for tat, and it goes together. And that observation backs up uh, my little statistical observation that that I noticed last year about you know elite pass defenses and uh, elite run offenses and how they they go together. And it's it's a rare combination to have in the playoffs a team that actually has a great run offense and a great pass defense you wouldn't think it's that rare but it is and there's a lot of success involved when you put that together and i'll, I'll get to all that a little bit later on oh a little is that a tease that, that's what they call a tease all right and which i could do my tease in a in a good solid microphone that my wife paid a lot of money for last year but of course i can't get on the computer and stay there without getting kicked off well, yeah, I I still am on the computer line, but we'll, we'll see how long that lasts for. We'll probably be joining you on the phone line here any minute now. Don't jinx yourself. It's it's going well, so you should be happy about that. Uh, speaking of uh, the NFL Network, so we got another TV star going into yeah. uh, uh, into the NFLs as. Uh, uh, the the ESPN TV star John Gruden getting finished with his terrible first season coaching the Oakland Raiders decides that he needs another TV star in his cabinet. I mean, in his front office. Uh, so he decides to make uh, Mike Mayock his new general manager. Uh, who saw that coming? I I don't know. I actually I, I really like Mike Mayock. I think he, I think he he seems like he you know and if he's on TV, so of course he's supposed to seem that way. But he he always, especially like watching the drafts and, and going through that way, he actually knew what he was talking about and was probably the most curmudgeonly person on that network. So they're, they're you know, oh, who always yeah. seemed like he needed a nap or like he hadn't had his soup or his medicine. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he pairs up with Gruden. Uh, I, I think he'll do well as a talent evaluator. I have a feeling that John Gruden is sort of still the de facto GM of that team anyways. So if I don't know if Mayock is going to be making all the personnel decisions, but if he's going to be, you know, if he's going to use the scouting and 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 use that side of it, uh, probably an upgrade for Gruden, or at least somebody to be in his ear. Hopefully, somebody to tell him, you know, maybe I shouldn't trade away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. Maybe maybe he shouldn't have traded Khalil Mack and then complained about how hard it is to find a, a, a dominant pass rusher. But continuing the Murga comparison, 
any anyone who gets in Gruden's ear and tries to speak truth to power probably is not something that's going to last very long. I think Mayock is probably going to be fired within the next two months and replaced by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I mean, it's just oh, sure. I don't know what's going on there in Oakland, but they, get, they they become more, yeah, more and more of a joke every day. Just just very very familiar. The whole thing just gets more and more bizarre. I, I I made, how long ago did I make this comparison about Gruden? <sighs> a, a long time ago. A and long time I, I ago. I not this. been. I I was prophetic in that. <laughs> it's not getting any better. It's getting. Yeah. <laughs> Going right down the the rabbit we, hole. We need our make Raiders great again hats. That's what I know. <laughs> I need to get a couple of those well, we, made. We will proudly wear them. We need another hat uh, that's completely not our idea, but it's so perfect that I I, I want to patent it and steal the idea before anyone else can. Oh, uh, no. this is the last this is the last gym that the uh, around the NFL podcast dropped. They pointed to the Houston Texans getting that early Saturday afternoon wild card game, which is sort of their home, and we we always talk about that on on, on our uh, podcast. Somebody on that podcast dubbed this day wild card Saturday early afternoon. Houston Texans, this is their home. They dubbed it Texavus. It's a Texavus for the rest of us because that's what they do. This is their holiday Saturday wild card weekend. 3.30 Central, 4.30 Eastern. It's time for Houston Texans football. It's Texavus tomorrow. Everybody celebrate Texavus. It's a great day for everyone. Yeah, it's 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 bad, but it seems like the Texans, <laughs> no matter how good they are, are always destined for that. And they're the number three seed, right? I believe they are. I believe that's true. So. But you can't escape right. it though. <laughs> I had to had the big sneeze there, so I had to hit the button. So uh, that was a loud yeah, one. Houston, so I'm glad they didn't do that to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, Houston three and Baltimore four, absolutely. So yeah, so yeah, Houston, the number three seed, gets the shittiest spot <laughs> of the weekend. But if you look at the other three games, if you're looking to draw power and star power, you know, obviously tomorrow night you're going to get Seattle and Dallas. You know Dallas is going to get the primetime spot. Yeah, and the Bears are going to get, the, you know, so you're going to, yeah, so all the games, it makes sense that Indy Houston, AFC South, nobody cares about it, is going to be the the game. And just for uh, football, just from a football standpoint, I love all four of these Game when I saw the the schedule for those for the wild card matchups, I, I, all four of them. The biggest spread on the board, of course, is is the Bears, and that's yeah. not even a touchdown. That's been six all week. Uh, just went to six yeah, and a half today. Six, six and a half, yeah. And that's so that's the the biggest spread, and that's still somewhat close. Uh, all three, all four of those games, uh, really, uh, really quality games, really good football. Yeah. I, I think this might be about the best. <laughs> Total the four games total the best weekend of of NFL uh, wild card weekend the best actual quality of football that we're gonna have in a long time I can't really remember a, a wild card weekend with with four games that should be all really really good matchups well and we usually we usually have that matchup and we've had one every year for as long as you can remember of the team that just shouldn't be there right the Bills. Oh, yeah. uh, oh. You know, where we had, or 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 you had teams that were gypped 
on their way there, like the Raiders when Derek Carr broke his leg, or the yep. the Panthers, right when they had to start Ryan Lindley, or was that the Cardinals? That was the Cardinals. That was the Cardinals. Ryan Lindley, oh yeah, and they because they played the Panthers. So you had Carson Palmer was having the career resurgence, and then he gets hurt, and then Drew Stanton gets hurt, and then you have the same thing happen where we have to watch Connor Cook start for the Raiders. You have the the Bills who were the first team that ever tried to tank that make the playoffs. Amazing. You know, I don't think that had ever happened before in NFL history. A team that had literally quit made the playoffs. A team that was trying to lose made the playoffs. And uh, this year it feels like you have, even though you have one team that sure, yes, they backed in in Philadelphia, but they also earned a spot. No, they earned it. Uh, I think if we would have had the Vikings in or the Steelers in or both of them, I wouldn't be as excited about these games right now if we had the Steelers hosting a playoff game because uh, I think Baltimore rightfully earned their spot, and I think Philadelphia earned their spot more than the Vikings, and they're both there. And uh, nobody sort of backed in the bad team. So I think that this is probably, even with the four teams that are sitting on the buys, this is probably the most wide-open field I've ever seen. No, you're right. The worst team playing this weekend is probably the Eagles, and that's the defending champions with Nick Foles doing his Nick Foles thing from last year again. So who's to say, you know? Right. They, they might go all the way again. You know, you, you never know. Yeah, you have a lot of games where it's like, you know, sort of like experience versus inexperience. There's a lot of story threads through this weekend, you know. You know, you have the Andrew Luck kind of coming back, you know, like from – being out of the league from injury for so long, and now they've come back, and Houston's always electric. It's going to be a fun – this is some fun football over the next uh, couple of games. And then we follow all that up with all the the bye week teams waiting for the, these winners. Oh, it's going to be some – yeah, we're going to be in for some good football for the for the playoff run here. Yeah, there's no 7-9 and nine division champs this weekend. No. There's no 8-8, eight eight, you know. <laughs> no. no. Everybody earned their way. Yeah, and every and you know, I I know I'm not I'm not a you know I, we we can be curmudgeonly and sort of conservative about some things, and then we can be a little bit more progressive about other things, right? I think we're sort of showed that over the course of the show that we can have some some good ideas or some you know some things that we like or don't like. I, I am I am starting to they don't really talk about it a lot, but I, I am starting to turn more towards the idea of reseeding the playoffs. 12 and 4 teams should ooh. Mm. That's uh that's that's a bit of a hot take, but yeah, I've heard that yeah. uh, be discussed uh, especially especially now that you just have these four four team divisions, you're just going to have a couple of dog division winners. I I I think it's fine that winning your division gets you an automatic bid. That's fine. You're in. You can't, right? They can't stop you from being in the playoffs, but I don't think that means that you have to host a home game. And that's where we uh, don't always uh, agree on. We have a lot of things we disagree on. I was just thinking about that uh, a little bit earlier this week. And it, it, for some reason, this fits, like, what, what we're doing right now as far as playoff teams with the wild cards and each division champion uh, gets the right to host a home game. To me, that, that fits. That makes sense because – you look at uh, the other sports, uh, baseball and football, and they got the series. They, they, every playoff, they, you got a seven-game series or a, a five-game series in baseball, uh, not counting that stupid playing game. 
But uh, in all those series, no matter how bad the other team is, they're going to get home dates. They get a chance to get home dates. They, they've earned that right just by being in the playoffs. Uh, in the NBA, you see it all the time in the NHL as well. Uh, those seven or eight seeds that have losing records still get the right to have two home dates with their home crowd. Absolutely, I'd still think the division champion in football has earned the right to have a home date, no matter how terrible the division might have been. They won the division. I don't think you should take that home date away from them just because the division happens to suck. There's so many teams that, uh, you know, the, the Chargers uh, have a better record uh, than the Ravens. So by your logic, I suppose the Chargers should be the ones hosting this game. I don't, I don't need the Chargers to have a home game out there in a soccer stadium. And that's just taking one team of it as an example. But the Ravens won the division. I think they deserve that home date. They did all they had to do. They changed their philosophy. They uh, found a way to win that division. Uh, and and I, I don't, I don't want to take the home dates away from the division champs. I think for some reason, to me, that, that just works. That just makes more sense. It's just something that I that I find myself toying with the idea and sort of liking that idea. The fact that, I mean, if a wild card team has a good enough record to be the number two seed, which the, uh, I believe the, the Chargers clearly would have been, <laughs> yep. I'm okay with that. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a popular opinion. I've heard it uh, said in, in other places as well. So Right. Uh, that. I guess I'll be the the old get off my lawn guy. Ah, keep it the way it is. I, I don't have any problems with it. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's not like not like I feel strongly these, about it. If they did change it, I'd be you know. Yeah, and I'm not one of these guys who think everything has to be fair. You know, like I miss sudden death overtime. That's just me. Yeah, I, I don't uh, stop stop have the any problem right? with sudden death. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't want them to score. Stop them. Exactly right. We don't all have to have a chance. Uh, the, right, the so I'm not, rule, as we remember. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, because yeah, we didn't get the ball, so let's change. Let's change all the rules, huh? Oh my God, Peyton Manning didn't get the ball. We have to change the entire rules of the game. Oh my God. Yeah. <sighs> so, <laughs> so yes. Yeah, so on some areas, I'm like, leave it the way it is. I mean, I, I actually like the fact that we have, you know, good defenses in the playoffs. On some, you know, some like dominant defenses, you're, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some slobber knockers this weekend. Uh, I could start launching into my little stats uh, when you talk about the dominant defenses because uh, it, it's it's pretty special uh, what's going on with the way teams are being constructed nowadays. Uh, I, I brought these uh, these stats up last year about uh, what I consider elite offense, elite defense. Uh, yeah and subpar offensive defense, which may not be the definition that other people may come up with, but I don't care. It's my definition, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, To me, and I'll try to quickly define this, uh, an elite running offense, for example, does not have anything to do with the number of yards for the season or whatever. It has to do with uh, yards per play for running and for, for passing. To me, over the years, what I've observed four and a half yards per carry or more for a team makes you an elite running offense. Three and a half yards or less makes you a subpar running offense, and it flips exactly those same numbers for defense. If you give up three and a half yards or less on the ground, you're an elite run uh, run defense. And if you give up four and a half yards or more, you're a subpar run defense. On the passing side, 
it's seven and a half and six and a half from what I've observed. So seven and a half yards per throw makes you an elite passing offense. If you give up seven and a half yards, you're subpar. If you only give up six and a half or less, you're a so you're a an elite passing defense. And if you can only achieve six and a half yards per throw, uh, then you are a subpar passing offense. And what I've observed is uh, over the years, the, the the trend has certainly been to have more elite passing offenses make the playoffs. Uh, it's whatever the percentage used to be of teams that ran the ball well uh, dominated the playoffs. That is certainly not the case now, especially with the rule changes and the uh, uh, the way uh, the games are officiated, uh, penalty situations. You definitely want to have an elite passing offense. That's what gets you into the big show. That's what gets you into the playoffs. However, uh, recently, over the last couple years, to go all the way through and win the title, it's been having an elite pass defense. That's been what has made the difference. Uh, We saw it with the Eagles last year, and, of course, uh, there's always a chuckle when I bring up the elite passing defense of the Eagles considering how they got filleted by Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. However, all I can say is they, they're the team that made the play, the, the defensive play to win it. There's only a player or two defensively that you had to make to win that game, and they're the ones that made it. So Yeah, they made, uh, they made two defensive plays in that game, which was two more defensive plays than the Patriots made in that game. Because the Patriots exactly. made zero defensive plays in that game. So the champion Eagles from last year had the, uh, the elite passing defense – and they had the uh, rare combination of a uh, elite running offense and also an elite passing defense. So that's exactly what I was just referring to when the Around the NFL podcast was talking about the Ravens and how they control the clock with the elite running game, and that allows their pass defense to get on the field and just go all out and send the dogs and send blitzes and, and smother anybody that tries to get any yardage on them and the other team has to panic because they have to be throwing because they don't have much time with the football. Baltimore's bled the clock running the ball. Now you're the, on the other team, you get the ball, you go, okay, well, we got to make some, Hey, we, we, you know, there's time's running out on us uh, and Baltimore's leading and we, we don't have that much time and the Ravens get to pin their ears back and come after you. The Eagles did that last year. Uh, elite run offense and elite, pass defense and they won the whole thing the last team before last year to have that combination of elite run offense and elite pass defense that would be the seattle seahawks of 2014 and they should have done a little thing that we call win the super bowl if they would have ran marsh on fucking lynch at the one yard line so that's what the trend is to me is you'd stop the pass and if you're able to run the ball uh, at, a, at, a, at a very high level, that seems to be sort of the magic combination. There is one team this year in the playoffs out of all 12 teams that have that combination of elite run offense and elite pass defense, uh, and that will be the Baltimore Ravens. Am I saying that the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl this year? No, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I'm just saying that's the team that you want to keep an eye on if you're looking at recent trends in the NFL in the playoffs in the last few years. Oh, I see what you did there. Just, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. 
Okay. Well, right. and we know last year that you just crapped all over your stats on so many <laughs> of the playoff picks. It was no, it was it was almost comical that you had all the stats and then you would go against them and lose your pick. The first three games uh, in which I had an elite passing offense going against an elite passing defense. Yep. I did all this research that showed that you want to go with the elite passing defense in those circumstances. Right. Uh, and, and, I, and I went with the passing offense in the first three games last year, and they all three of them lost. Yes. So, no, I remember. See, you can't, can't sneak that by me. But at least I learned my lesson and figured it out for the rest of the playoffs. You did. At least I you did, did that You much. did right the ship. You did right the ship. And that that's what really surprised me when I went and did all that research was how dominant uh, an elite pass defense was against an elite passing offense. And we're going to have a lot more of those matchups in this year's playoffs because there is, uh, I believe there's more, by my definition, elite passing offenses in the playoffs this year than ever before. There's eight elite passing offenses. There's eight offenses that average seven and a half yards or more per throw. There's only 12 teams in the fucking playoffs. Right. So, then, <laughs> so, so what you're saying is the odds say a couple of them are going to get some cream puff matchups here. Uh, what what you would think is cream puff matchups against pass defenses that aren't so elite, yes. Yeah. Uh, but but they're also going to get matchups against elite pass defenses. There's going to be some uh, you know mano a mano action and recent twin recent trends say that you want to go with the defenses when those matchups occur. Well. Should we uh, break the seal here on Wild Card Weekend? Yeah, let's find out what some of these matchups are. Absolutely. Uh, but first, of course, I will give the plugs. Uh, hopefully that you're enjoying this show despite the sound quality. I don't know how much worse I'm sounding on the phone than on the computer. I really wish I was on the computer. but You sounded good when you were on the on the computer line, and now you sound like you're on a telephone. So you don't sound bad. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, but just not as good as I could, that's all. Uh, but anyway, hopefully you're still enjoying uh, our football party and our football breakdown. Here live on blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail, which hopefully we'll get their stuff together and not have these connection issues one day. Who knows? Uh, to listen to the show as a podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, search for in much less detail the podcast. You can also go to any number of different podcasting apps and websites. And we should be on there. And if we're not on there, then that's not a good website. And you don't want to be with them anyway. But when you do go to those sites and look for in much less detail the podcast, you find us, you subscribe, and every show that we do, you will get the full show uploaded to you. That's this live portion and also an after show portion that we do that you cannot hear live. You can only hear as a podcast. Uh, you will find our picks on our blog after we finish the show and the blog is in much less detail.blogspot.com I am on Twitter at IMLDDre. Jason is on Twitter at IMLDJTG and you can always email the show with any questions or comments and the email address is in much less detail at gmail.com so with that it is time to get wild card weekend picks on the record uh, I also should give the uh, the scoring system for our playoff picks and, and where we stand uh, as far as our point system goes. So the scoring system, very simply, and you'll see this on the website uh, after I put the, put the picks up, um, you take the percentage. We, we don't want to deal with just number of wins. We want to pick every game 
against the spread for the regular season and then take that percentage because that's the measurement of how good you've done. Take that raw percentage and simply multiply it by 200, and that's the number of points that you have to start the playoffs. And then from there, two points each for every correct wild card game that we pick, three points each for every correct uh, conference semifinal or division round game that we pick, the conference finals are worth four points each, and the Super Bowl is worth the big five. The uh, playoff system with 112 points because of my 560 winning percentage for the season, one of the better seasons that either one either one of us have ever had. Jason, that 492 for the season will start with 98.4 points, which puts him, uh, if I can do the math in my head real quickly, is at 13.6 points behind me to, to start the playoffs. Uh, that's that's quite the hole. Uh, cannot be made up uh, this weekend, even if you swept those four wild card games. That would only be eight points. However, if you did do that, uh, you'd be at me shitting my pants because you'd only be five points behind me at that point. Yeah. It's like, uh oh. <laughs> I've come back from something around this big before, so. Yeah, I know. So uh, it, it's not over yet. That's the no. the point of the point system, and that is is that it makes sure that it's not over yet, no matter yeah, how great a season one of us. There's thirty three. There's thirty three points that are out there, and you know, even if you were to win every pick this weekend over me, we'd still have. That this is exactly why we came up with the point system, so that it's not over either before the playoffs, which has only ever happened once, <laughs> or. Right. That there's just no drama, and you know, and wild card weekend happens. So, so usually we'll make it two rounds, third round, you know, before we crown a champion. Very, very most of the time, we are either deadlocked, having to go up against each other on a Super Bowl pick, or a conference championship weekend is you know when when things sort of happen. And yeah, thirteen points, I can, I, I'll manage. I would have liked that extra point from the from the locks, but. I, I, I got you right where I want you. No pressure. No pressure. No, all right, here we go. Our season, considering that 492 is by by all standards not a a poor season for us. Nothing to sneeze at. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you know, fifty fifty percent for us over the years has always sort of been the gold standard. That picking every game, you'd want to at least break even because. How many experts out there picking every game even do that? Uh, there's a website, NFLPickWatch.com. Yeah. <laughs> you can check out the quote-unquote experts and see how terrible they did. Oh, I might, By the I way, beaten, I, I had a better percentage them? than all of them. Am I beating some of them too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I feel good now. I'm beating the experts. <laughs> yeah, four games under 500 is nothing to sneeze at at all. It, it just looks bad compared to 30 games over, but – Right. Uh, what can I say? It was a, it was a charmed season. You had, yeah. But, actually, that that sort of the, the you know you sort of put the brakes on that over the last three or four weeks. Otherwise, you were really you were aiming for some rare air there. Yeah, we we came up completely even uh, for three weeks in a row there, and then you got a, a game up on me last week in week seventeen. So, yeah, you uh, you, you got on my coattails, and we kind of rode together there for a while. Yeah, because well, I know when by the point system through like week 11 or week 12, I was sitting like 20 points behind you if the season would have ended based on the percentages. So just, you know, just staying even with you over the last three or four weeks, you know, brought you down more closer to me and uh, moved my percentage back up closer to 500. And then there you go, a 13 point difference. 
You're trying to reel me in very slowly. That's right. All I need, you know, one, one. If I get one Anya each week, I win. But no pressure, right? Right. Well, that's 14 points if I'm doing the math right. One point each week? Uh, oh, one game, you mean. Yeah, yeah, One yeah, game yeah, yeah. each week. If I beat you, if I come up one ahead of you each week, two, three, four, five, that's 14 points, I win. Easy. All right. <laughs> Boom. Break. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. I got this. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. To start off Wild Card Weekend, we, of course, go to uh, Texas for the rest of us. Uh, as the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans will have the rubber match, their third meeting of the year. Uh, the 10-6 and six Colts, coming up one game short of the AFC South, uh, are fittingly only one-point underdogs against the 11-5 and five Houston Texans. You know, what's really interesting, this game, just this game is very interesting for where both of these teams were after, what, four or five games. I mean, Houston starts the season 0-3 and, and then rips off the nine wins in a row. Indy, I believe, at one point was 1-4, 1-5. I mean, these were, you know... 1-5, yeah. 1-5, yeah. two franchises that we had completely almost written off, left for dead. You know, oh, that AFC South, it's just a disaster. They're going to have that, you know, halfway through the season, we're thinking anybody could have won that division. We were still talking about Jacksonville as putrid as they were, could have still been viable midway through the season because of how bad uh, the records were in that division. Even Houston halfway through was only five and three. And to, you know, for both of these teams to end up where they did, um, that, that's really a testament. People, this is the overlooked division. Uh, clearly it's the 3.30 Eastern, uh, 3.30 Central game, 4.30 <laughs> Eastern game. It is, it's the game that we joke about all year long you know, and it, 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 it's so sad that we predict this the weeks in advance. Like, oh, what's that 3.30 matchup going to be? Well, <laughs> you know, if the Titans had been in this game, it would have been even oh. more perfect to have Titans and, uh, you dead, know, Titans. Dead bull no, lot that they would have been in there. Yeah. So, yeah, Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson, a, a great compelling matchup. Even all of that was not good enough to get this game a little bit more uh, of a Sunday run or some prime time love. So nothing at all. So yeah, so what we're stuck with is the 3:30 game. Uh, it's usually the game was this the ESPN game. This is usually going to mm-hmm. be that game that goes off network. Uh we're going to get the special uh Saturday afternoon edition of Monday Night Football. That's right. So I'm sure we're going to get all the Monday Night Football branding slapped all over this one, which is just, you know, that's just my favorite, right? That, that doesn't oh, yeah. make me. That doesn't make me die inside a little bit whenever I see that. <laughs> but you know the matchup, and I'm sure your numbers are going to point this out. The number that really jumps out to me on this matchup is the Houston 28th ranked pass defense. Oh man, everybody lights these guys up, and Andrew Luck has been getting an incredible amount of protection. I believe he's uh, he hasn't been sacked. 19, I think it was 19 was the number I saw this uh, this in the run-up here when I was doing my research for the game. 19 sacks for the year, not a lot. Andrew Luck does not face a lot of stifling pressure, and part of the reason why Indy is in this game and had the record that they did was because of the, ta- of the Colts' ability to keep him upright, especially coming off of 
all the injuries and the neck and you know all the things he couldn't throw a football. And you're not going to take this guy. You have to protect him. And the way they protect him is they beefed up that offensive line. He's got a competent running game, and he's got T.Y. Hilton. So he's and, and Eric Ebron, who was sort of a wash-up in Detroit, who, hey, look what happens. You go and you play with a, a quarterback with a lot of talent, not a stat compiler. I, I think Matthew Stafford is uh, another of uh, Kirk Cousins-type guy, <laughs> you know, where he's basically – he puts up the numbers. But what's he ever going to win? Um, but not to the Kirk Cousins level. Um, but that just Stafford's got that in him too. But you know, you send Eric Ebron over to the Colts, and oh, hey, look, Andrew Luck can turn this guy into something. He, he's making plays, and he, he's looking really good. He's what the Lions were hoping for when they got him. But that Houston pass defense—you have trashed the Houston pass defense on this show repeatedly, and for good reason. They're really bad. If they don't get pressure on Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck will throw for 400 yards. So I don't think that's a problem. I think the Colts are going to put up a ton of points. But on the other side, Houston, we know, is capable of putting up a ton of points. So I look at this. I love the over. I guess that's the first thing I should get out of the way on this game. Love, love, love the over. But I have a hard time taking a team that, that, that can give up 400 yards passing to just about anybody, anytime over the top, doesn't stop anybody. I'm going to take the Colts as the, what was a one-point underdog, not really. Basically, it's a pick em. I mean, yeah. I guess we could have a, I guess we could have a push on this, right? But I'm going to take the Colts, the point, <laughs> which means nothing. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. But uh, I, I don't trust a team. You want to talk about elite pass defense, and I'm sure you've got all the breakdowns on that. But the Houston Texans in this in these playoffs are probably the farthest thing away from an elite pass defense that we're going to see. It's going to show. Yeah, they are indeed subpar, uh, as you keep referring to that. Uh, 7.5 yards per throw that they're giving up. That's on the subpar side, just barely for me. Uh, the, the, again, these are, these are my stats. This isn't any kind of official designation. This is just how I define it. Um, but and, and you pointed out the rank of, among the league uh, leaders as far as just total yards given up, 28th in the league, uh, fifth from the bottom in number of yards given up. And backing up on paper, the observation that I've made all year, which is when they don't get pressure, they get absolutely destroyed through the air. That's uh, backed up by the numbers and, and uh, sometimes it works like that. Sometimes what you see is actually backed up by what's on paper. So sometimes stats aren't for losers. Sometimes they actually do uh, back up what, what people are seeing on the screen. Uh, so, yeah, a rubber match uh, between these uh, two teams. Uh, the injury report uh, kind of light. Uh, Brian Grant is out for Indy, one of their uh, number three or number four receivers. Uh, but their center, Ryan Kelly, is due back. That might be huge for their run game. T.Y. Hilton, who you mentioned earlier, has not practiced all week, so I'm worried uh, uh, and observing him over the last few weeks. Uh, he's clearly not healthy. He's clearly not 100%, but doggone, that guy just fights and guts through. He is running his routes about as fast and hard as you can, and then when his route is over, you see him limping back to the sideline. So he's just gutting through right now, and that's a huge key for me uh, that – Indianapolis might have a, a big problem on their hands if he breaks all the way down tomorrow. And uh, one of those times that he makes a break out of his route and he, and he goes down and can't get back up. Uh, all of a sudden now Andrew Luck is looking at a bunch of dudes 
trying to win a game or run a playoff game with a bunch of guys. So if T.Y. goes down, that's a, that's definitely a big problem. Uh, for Houston, they've got a similar problem. Uh, it's uh, DeAndre Hopkins and some dudes. Uh, they've got a bunch of injuries uh, in the wide receiver core. Uh, uh, Kiki QT has made some impact plays this year, but he's a game-time decision to be out there uh, for the Texans. So, yeah, rubber match, each one by the road team earlier this year with the two divisional rivals. Uh, the key should be Andrew Luck, uh, quick passing game, trying to avoid the Houston pressure. How healthy is T.Y. Hilton? Uh, rookie uh, indie offensive linemen uh, have been very impressive, Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith, but they're still rookies. So uh, if they do have a bad game, you know, Houston will take advantage and, and eat up front. Uh, can Indy shut down DeAndre Hopkins and make someone else beat them uh, is another huge key. So the way I see this playing out uh, is you look at the two games that occurred earlier. Week four, Houston uh, in overtime goes to Indy and beats them 37-34 on that stupid Frank Reich coaching mistake as he uh, could have punted in a tie game late in overtime but decided to go for it instead. Oh, we're going to go for it every time. Oh, okay, big shooter. Um, and they don't get it, and they leave uh, the, the Texans a very short field to get the game, get in position for the game-winning field goal. That was definitely a coaching mistake on Reich's part. Uh, week 14 uh, in Houston, the rematch, the Colts uh, get a three-point win back on Houston, 24-21, in what I think was the epitome of the biggest Texans' weakness, which was uh, giving up big passing yardage when they don't get pressure. They were stifling Andrew Luck in the Indianapolis Colts passing game with pressure early in that game. Uh, I think the Colts didn't have any points in the first quarter, uh, or, or very close to uh, no points, uh, very close to the second quarter when they finally scored. And then Houston just kind of stopped getting pressure, and then Andrew Luck just lit them up in the secondary, just went up and down the seams on them to different targets, uh, just going crazy over the top to them. Uh, and, and that's what lost the game for Houston. Is the moment they stopped getting pressure, that's when Andrew Luck rediscovered what he could do uh, and, and beat them over the top. Luck just got better and better as the season wore on, as proven by the, the midseason trend. Uh, when you look at uh, what Indianapolis was averaging after uh, eight weeks, after eight games, uh, they were – uh, at 6.4 uh, yards per throw, and they finished the year at 7.1. That is uh, quite the bounce uh, in one, only a uh, half a year. I, I haven't seen a bounce like that very often before. So is, is that luck getting better? Uh, is his arm getting better? His strength coming back? Uh, might be all of that. Uh, but whatever the reason, he got better and better as the year went on. Uh, Pro Football Focus had a stat about J.J. Watt, uh, who uh, is it's interesting, these, this game with these two guys, Luck and Watt, you talk about the two guys for comeback player of the year, it's pretty obvious it's these two and it's not close. And whichever way you want to go, you can pick one or the other. J.J. Uh, Watt is currently on a 14-game streak of getting three or more pressures in a game, 14 games in a row. So the, the John Cena of the NFL, J.J. Watt, we didn't know how – he would play coming back off of his catastrophic injury last year, and he's coming back to, to his form. Andrew Luck, we didn't know if he would ever really be the same, but he seems to be coming back into his form. So a uh, really good matchup when you just consider those two guys. 
uh, Indy uh, on the defensive side, not known for quarterback pressure, but Houston's protection is so lacking. That's the big problem for the Texans offensively is that they don't really protect Deshaun Watson very well. Uh, and routinely in those two games, they had Watson's feet sort of moving around and he wasn't really steady in his presence and his, and his accuracy was suffering as a result of that. Uh, as talented as Watson is and as great as, as New Hopkins is, Houston's receiving weapons after Newt are some tight ends and some guys, some guys you never heard of, that they really, really miss uh, Will Fuller, who always gets hurt. He makes some plays and then he gets hurt. They tried to shore that up by acquiring Demarius Thomas uh, before the trade deadline. Then he got hurt. So now he's uh, not going to play either. Uh, Indianapolis' uh, pass defense is actually getting better as well. So there's a combination there that they're – that Houston keeps losing weapons and the Colts' pass defense is, is sort of rounding into shape as well. Luck is a top-level quarterback when he's in a rhythm. I think he's proven that again this year. Watson's just not on that level, not yet. Uh, he may be too amped up for this game. You remember he had, uh, missed the playoffs last year because he got hurt. Uh, this is his first playoff game. He'd be, I think, early in games and big games, he gets a little too juiced. He probably is going to let a few throws go way too deep over everyone's head, um, and they're going to wind up playing this, this sort of comeback game, and I don't think the Texans are really built to come back on anybody. So I'm going to agree with you and take the Indianapolis Colts to, to get an early lead and sort of hang on at the end. I got the uh, Colts hanging on and winning by a touchdown. I got it. Uh, I also like the over with you. I got 31-24. to 24. Oh, that's the same score I have. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I have the Colts 31-24. Well, how about that? You know, if it actually is 31-24, we, we need to just quit our jobs and go to Vegas, right? Ah, well, you know, that brings uh, – you know, the other stat that I didn't bring up, because I'm not a big stats guy, but the one that really jumped out to me is Indianapolis is the number one team in the league on third down. Nice. Just, just south of 50%. They're like over 48% for third down conversion rate which is just ridiculous. So if Indy can also sort of ball control and hold on to the ball, you know, it doesn't all have to be big plays over the top to, to T.Y. Hilton or, or, or to the tight end. I mean, I, Andrew Luck is, you know, they're converting. And they've got a, not a great running game, but a running game that's been sort of sneaky productive. Marlon Mack has been, he's been all right, right? He's probably just as good or better than anything that Peyton Manning had when he was with the Colts, you know, Joseph Adai or any of those guys, Dominic Rose. Hey, Marlon Mack's all right. If, if he can produce and they can work him into the game plan, I think I think this will be in the, uh, yeah, I like the over. Uh, I like them 31-24. I'm looking on the other side of T.Y. Hilton at Dontrell Edmond as my X Factor. Mm. Guy who was mildly mildly productive with Philip Rivers in San Diego, and then went to the Bears, and of course, that's where wide receivers go to die. And now with Andrew Luck, he has been once again sort of mildly productive. And I think if there's going if Houston's going to roll pressure over and uh, try to you know cover up the two big targets that Andrew Luck has, I think that's going to free up from some space for Inman to have a big game. Yeah, that's a good one. He's been uh, coming through uh, the last couple of weeks, sort of emerging and, and becoming. Uh, a target for Andrew Luck. Um, I uh, look at what J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless and Jadevian Clowney uh, can do for the Texans. They can flip all of this around if they get consistent pressure on Andrew Luck. So my X factor is going to be those starting 
offensive tackles. I talked about the rookie, Braden Smith, and on the other side, Anthony Costanzo. They have to have their best games against J.J. Watt and the Texans if they're going to keep Andrew Luck clean and, and keep his success rate going up and up as, as it has been doing uh, all year long. Yeah. And not just keep them clean, but don't get, like, drive-crushing holding calls either. Yeah, yeah, keep the laundry off the field. That's that's a big one. Yeah, so especially when you've got those, you know, A-list, you know, top dog pass rushers coming, sometimes they get by you and you get a little handsy or you grab them or you tackle them to the ground and now that drive is over because now it's like second and 20. And, uh, you know, nothing nothing kills a drive and nothing kills the momentum like holding calls. And I'm sure... I'm sure that that's going to be preached by the Colts and the coaching staff. I think you're going to see a lot of balls coming out quick. But if it all of a sudden, like you said, if Houston got that pressure in that second matchup and then it just stopped, and if Andrew Luck starts getting that pocket around him, it's going to be – it's over. That's that's what's going to happen. All right, let's see if we uh, agree on the second game with the team and also the the points – also, the final score, completely yeah, the exact same can... final score. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's a first. I don't, I don't think we ever had the exact same uh, final before. We've had the uh, same the X factor. Yeah. yeah that, that's happened a couple times. Yeah. The Seahawks and the Cowboys are both 10 and 6. Seattle, I uh, don't think a lot of people expected them to get that high, and they put together a hell of a second half. and. Got to 10 wins, and the Cowboys, uh, probably not a lot of people expected them either, but uh, the NFC East champion Cowboys uh, are the team that's hosting in this one. Uh, Seattle, not quite the three-point underdog. It's two and a half, so a little love for the Seahawks uh, being given out. Uh, Not much on the injury front on this one either. Zach Martin, uh, the the guard, will return for the Cowboys. He had been missing uh, in action the last week or two. Uh, Tavon Austin is up. Uh, he had been uh, inactive for a while, but they're apparently going to put him out there uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, for this one, uh, the thumbnail looks like the uh, it, it looks like it's going to be the length of the, the of the cornerbacks for the Cowboys. So Byron Jones and uh, Chinobili Awuzie, my guy Awuzie, uh, against the playmakers for Seattle of Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin. Uh, that's going to be maybe uh, the big difference because of, of how similar the running attacks are. Uh, and Seattle just so committed to the run, too, uh, even more so maybe than Dallas, I believe, just based on the number the percentages, uh, percentage of runs versus the pass. I think the Seahawks are the most committed to the run of any team in the league. So Dallas, uh, they better strap up because the Seahawks are going to run and they're not going to do anything uh, other than that, at least uh, early on. Uh, you got to love the matchup of Zeke Elliott against Bobby Wagner. You, you know they're going to meet each other uh, in the hole a few times. But uh, honestly, uh, to have the best success in the game for running the ball, the Cowboys should really be pulling those offensive linemen, those guards, those tackles, and, and make sure they take Wagner out of the equation. I think that's the best way to succeed. Uh, and if the run games are going to dominate time of possession for both of these teams, then simply the team with the more explosive pass plays should be the one to take it uh, because it's going to be pretty even uh, otherwise on the ground. So who's going to wind up taking it? Uh, This is also a rematch of the week three matchup uh, at Seattle where the Seahawks won 24 to 13. This is a perfect example of how things can change so quickly in the NFL week three so many, many weeks ago. 
Uh, Seattle's win, they were helped out defensively by two INTs by that big-time playmaker Earl Thomas. I, uh, oh, he, he broke his leg and, and was last seen flipping off his own team. So, no, he won't be out there for the Seahawks. Uh, but they also have some good play in a, in a sack by Michael Kendricks, who went, uh, he, he, he broke his leg, too. He's not going to play either. But, you know, I'm just going to do my screaming A. Smith and pretend like they're going to be out there. I'm going to break down these games and tell you how great Earl Thomas is. No, I'm not going to do that. That would be silly. Uh, so we know they won't be out there for this game. But uh, the Seahawks uh, defensively has still been uh, rather impressive. I think the, those young kids had some moments uh, during the season, especially early, where they really showed uh, that they could sort of picked up things quickly, uh, the way the Seahawks do it, a Seahawk way, if you will. Um, and then it sort of filled in the role that a lot of those veterans have been uh, filling over the years. So, yeah, run, 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 you know, the do run, 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 the do run. And we know it's going to be all about the run with both of these teams, with Chris Carson, uh, uh, Davis, and Penny for for Seattle. Mike Davis, Rashad Penny, the rookie. Uh, you know they're going to be grinding it out on the ground. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Rod Smith on the ground for Dallas. Both quarterbacks scramble, so they add to – the running attack, and like I said, it should be whoever can make the best, the, the biggest plays downfield should be the one to win this game. Uh, Seattle, I wanted to point out numbers-wise, uh, you know, me and my numbers, Seattle's successful years with Russell Wilson as a quarterback this is his uh, eighth year, I believe, uh, in the league. And there's a pattern. If you look at the numbers, especially the numbers that I love, the yards per attempt, which is sort of my favorite stat, when you look at those numbers, uh, and, and you compare it to like the rankings uh, just in total yards throughout the league, when you look at the running and the passing for Seattle, there's a pattern there. When they're successful, uh, there's definitely a pattern. When they are doing the way they like to do, that means that they're going to be at the top of the league running the football and at the bottom of the league in total yards throwing the football, but at the top of the league in yards per attempt throwing the football. It's a very weird pattern, but they are very much in that pattern right now, and that's what they are in when they are successful. Uh, going back to 2012, Russell Wilson's rookie year, they were 11-5. and five. They were third in the league running the ball. They averaged 4.8 yards a carry. They were 27th in the league throwing the ball, but they averaged eight yards per throw. 2013, same thing, 13-3 and three record. Fourth in the league running the ball, 4.3 yards per carry. 26th in the league throwing the ball, but 8.4 yards per throw. Low yardage, but huge explosive plays when they threw. 2014, 12-4. They were number one in the league running the ball at 5.3 yards per carry. 27th in the league throwing, but 7.7 yards per throw. Same thing in 2015. Third in the league running, 20th in the league throwing but 8.3 yards per throw this is what they do but then the last couple of years what happened Russell Wilson hurt his legs can't really run as much when you got a quarterback a mobile quarterback who's not mobile anymore because he had hurt legs but statistically right now Russell Wilson's back to being Russell Wilson his legs aren't hurt he's been helping out with the run this is peak Seahawks right now and that formula works they love running and running and grinding and then waiting until you get tired and hitting you with the big play over the top with the long bomb. That's what they do. On the other side, of course, no doubt, Amari Cooper for the Dallas Cowboys, that's the explosive playmaker that the Cowboys were lacking ever since Des Bryant. 
it was clear that they needed that. What it wasn't clear was how good Dak Prescott would be once Amari Cooper came on board. I'm one of Dak Prescott's biggest critics, but I have to admit, been pretty damn good ever since you added Amari Cooper back there. Uh, the Seattle defensive line gets blasted off the ball. I, I noticed this in the in the game against Dallas. Even though Seattle won, they were still getting pushed backwards big time. Uh, and Dallas, of course, specializes in blasting guys off the ball. So if Jason Garrett can sort of contain himself and, and not go outside of himself and not do some of the stupidest team in sports type of, of stuff and call too many passes or anything like that, I think the game plan is evident. I, I really do think it's that easy. Just keep running the ball and keep blasting Seattle off the ball, and you're going to run for 200-some-odd yards, and you'll be able to control the game that way. No team has large athletes blocking downfield like the Dallas Cowboys. It's not even close, and everyone knows it. And Russell Wilson is a liability when Seattle needs points fast, so that's the big thing there is if Dallas can keep grinding and keep getting points and keep controlling the clock – and Seattle has to come back and try to get fast points. He gets happy feet in the pocket. He checks down a lot. He gets too many read options, trying to figure out ways to fool the defense. Uh, and the Dallas defense is not really easy to fool them because they're really talented. They really gelled and really came on as the year went on. They, that back seven really rallies to the rock. Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch has emerged as sort of the policeman in the middle there, replacing Sean Lee. Uh, that, that's really the backbone of the team. The, the defense has really stepped up and become a huge factor. Uh, I'm going to take Dallas to, to keep grinding, to keep running, and to force Seattle into situations where they can't rely on the run. They have to throw because they have to come back because they're down. Um, and the Seahawks, kind of like uh, the Houston Texans, I don't think they're built to really come back. I, I know Russell Wilson's pulled some comebacks in his career, uh, but I really don't think they want to be making a big habit of doing that. So I'm going to take the Cowboys to pull this one out. Um, and actually, I got them dominating uh, because the way they can just grind and grind and grind, I don't think uh, the Seahawks are, are equipped to really compete with that. So I have, actually I have a, a late blowout in that one. I have Dallas winning 37-13. to Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, you brought up a lot of good points there. Um, a lot of, you, you're so stats-heavy. You know, all the stats point at me and tell me, take the Cowboys take the Cowboys but there's that there's that little nagging feeling that I get which is I the Cowboys are that team that just they find ways to lose games especially playoff games they had that 13 and 3 team that lost to Aaron Rodgers a couple of seasons ago and Dak Prescott played amazing they had no business losing that game they were clearly the better team and and to me it it just it, it comes down to the coaching who do I trust? You, you, we talk, you talked about it. The game plan should be simple for both teams. Run the ball. Run the ball. You have the two top rushing offenses. There's no reason. Number one, there's no reason why Dallas shouldn't be the number one rushing team in football with that offensive line and with that talent behind that offensive line, even though Russell Wilson sort of pads the numbers and helps add to that, uh, to that three-headed rushing attack that Seattle has. What that tells me is that Seattle is a team that doesn't just run the ball. Seattle is a team that's committed to running the ball. And, uh, you know, and, that, and Pete Carroll and that offense, knowing what they're good at and doing it. And that's a, that's a level of trust for the Seahawks in, the, in history that I don't have in Jason Garrett and in the Dallas Cowboys. I don't trust them 
to do the things that are necessary to win the game. I don't trust them to run the ball. It's maddening to me when I see Jason Garrett get first and goal at the one and throw the ball four times. That Jason Garrett is the one that I've called out on this show more times than I can count for pulling out those stupidest team in football tendencies and trying to be the smartest guy. And, you know, yes, Dak Prescott has been amazing since they got Amari Cooper, but there's also been that tendency that they need to showcase the toy. I mean, Dallas should have lost that game to Philadelphia, except for the fact that the guy from the Eagles drops the interception that then bounds right into the hands of Amari Cooper for the game-winning score, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, again, in a situation where probably just giving the ball to Zeke over and over and over and over again would be the prudent thing to do, I just don't trust. This is the show-me game for Dallas. They really need to show me. I don't trust them. All the stats say they should win this game. All the stats actually say they should dominate this game, very similar to what you said. But I don't trust them, and I, I have to have trust. And they, they went on this nice little run here in the regular season, but the playoffs are a different animal, as the Dallas Cowboys have found out uh, many times over the last 20-plus years, that, that getting there is one thing, and playing a team like Seattle who's been there their, their coach, their quarterback, this is not going to be an unprepared football team. I'd, I'd be really shocked. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen to watch Seattle go on the road here and, and, and get their doors blown off. It could happen, but I don't I don't see it happening. I like the Seahawks to win straight up 26-22. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it can go that way, too. I, it's, it's crazy. I picked the uh, Cowboys to win by 24 points. And at the same time, I agree with a lot of the points that you make, and I could see them finding a way to, to yak this game up too. It really does come down to the, the, the Scott Lanahan and Jason Garrett want to do what is necessary to win the game, or do they want to show off their geniusness and try to do something yeah. that they're really not equipped to do? Yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott would be most effective in this game if he throws 20 times, 25 times. Right. That tells me that the Cowboys would have a, a, the dedication to just do what they need to do to take care of business and move on in the playoffs. Because the ultimate goal is to move on. It's just win or go home. Your game plan should be solely focused on just beat the other team, move on to the next round. I get the feeling with the Cowboys that their game plan is to like let's showcase this and let's do all this and Dak's playing for his contract and yeah, everyone well, so-and-so wants his money. How many times have we heard Jerry Jones talking about money every time one of his players does something? Oh, Amari Cooper must want his money. Uh, Dak Prescott must, must want his money. Russell Wilson, that team, that's a pro football team. That's a team that's not going out there thinking about their next contract. That's a team that wants to go out and win the game and, and shock the world, especially Dallas in their own building, and then move on to the next round of the playoffs and try to do some more damage. So I – and I'm not a big Pete Carroll guy. He's, he's, you know, I think his shtick is is probably wearing thin in Seattle. I think he'll be gone in the next few years. The the whole woo, you know, every time, yeah. He, he's <laughs> he he's, you know, you can feel that, that that that's on the downward slope. But I still trust the Seahawks, especially the fact that they I know they're dedicated to doing something, and that is they are going to just try to pound, pound, pound. And even if they're not successful, they're going to keep trying to pound it. And then next thing you know, you're half asleep, and Russell Wilson's doing some 
dance around kind of magic play and he finds somebody over, you know, some find somebody wide open who has no business being open because his receivers get zero separation, but somehow are wide open because he's done some magic thing or he's floated that bomb down 40 yards down the field. And all of a sudden there's somebody running underneath it because they're just all asleep at the wheel waiting for the running game. And it's the rust bomb. It, it is. Every and, time he gets near midfield, he's going to throw a bomb. Everyone knows it. Right. And, you know, are you going to be back there? Are you going to defend it? Are you going to, you know, are they going to, are they going to be smart and, and, and do all the right things? Because I think on paper the Cowboys should just blow these guys out. I agree with you on that. I just don't trust them to do it. And it's so weird that I'm the big Pete Carroll fan amongst us, but you're the one that trusts him more in this spot. And I, I, I can't believe that he got this team to 10-6, and six, as many holes as they had to fill. I, I'm very uh, – appreciative of the coaching job that he did this year. And I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. He, and he's I'm another one. one that, he's another one we talked about. I talked about John Harbaugh last week. Like he's not going to get any like coach of the year type awards or anything right. like that, but he's clearly more deserving of it than some other Pete Carroll is not getting talked about at all for coach of the year type stuff. It's always going to be the hot shit guy who, just came into the league and they did so like Matt Nagy or any of those types of guys, but nobody's going to talk about Pete Carroll getting that team to 10 and six. Yeah. Hell of a job. A lot of that, a lot of that also has to do though with the fact that Russell Wilson, to your point is healthy again and has the threat to run, but it's not that he has the threat to run. Russell Wilson is an older Deshaun Watson. He's looking to run, but just to buy himself enough time to throw the 50 yard bomb down the field to stick the dagger in your heart. And that's why I like Russell Wilson. That's why I like Deshaun Watson, because when they run, they're not just doing the Lamar Jackson, like pull it down and take off, right? right. That's going to get Lamar Jackson killed. But it looks great. You you would think. It looks great. And it'll play great until the first time that he's we're looking one way and somebody else is coming from the other direction he doesn't see, and they're scraping him off the turf. You, you don't you don't see Russell Wilson taking a lot of big hits. You don't see Deshaun Watson taking a lot of big hits when he's out in space because he's looking to launch that football. And that's why I like those two guys. That's why I think that their game translates to longer success in the pros because they are throwers first that have a great escapability. Lamar Jackson has great escapability, but he's just gone. First read, gone. Very Very <laughs> Kaepernick-like. It, it it is it it's just like what got Kaepernick to a Super Bowl, but didn't sustain yeah. had no sustainability. RG three, right. all these guys that come in there, the flash in the pan, and you know, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, now you know what they're gonna try to they're gonna they're not gonna rush you, they're just gonna kind of sit back and make you try to read the defense and throw the football, and it's not gonna work. Well, we'll see if Lamar gets knocked out tomorrow or uh, on Sunday, rather, uh, the, the 21-year-old. Uh, yeah, well, we'll that's get a segue. That take, yeah, but... That's what I call a segue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but but uh, first, I need to know your X-Factor for the Seahawks. Very family. rare, very rare that I ever do two X-Factors, and this is one from each team, but that's because they both play the same position. I'm going with both of the kickers here, Sebastian Janikowski oh. and Britt Maher. 12 missed field goals between the two of them this season. Mm. And if those teams start leaving points on the table, either by missed extra points or missed field goals, any points that they leave on the table in the special teams game are going to come back to haunt them. Part of the reason why I have that at 26-22 is by virtue of a missed extra point by the Cowboys (laughs) 
forcing them to have to go for a touchdown at the end that they won't be able to get. How do you like that? Very, very specific. I'm definitely Thank watching you. for that. Thank you. Yeah, if that's 26, if that's 26, uh, 22 after a late cowboy touchdown, and then they miss the extra point. Uh oh. I don't even need the exact number. If the Cowboys need a touchdown late because they blew an extra point somewhere along the way, that's that's it right there. You you, you win that one. Thank you. Um, and I mentioned him. Uh, uh, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Tavon Austin uh, is got that ghost action all the time. They'll just bring him back there and just run him in the backfield back and forth and distract you. And, and the and the Seahawks uh, have a defense that can be easily distracted by somebody like that. He's always a deep threat, of course, uh, and he's always a threat to take a jet sweep and, and go around the end and do some damage. So I found that curious. They had him uh, inactive for a lot of the season, but they, they brought him back for this game. So we'll see how much uh, they got waiting for him there. On to the Sunday action, starting with the Clippers and the Ravens, the 12-4 and Los Angeles Chargers that we discussed earlier maybe should be at home by virtue of their record, but uh, they are not. They are not division champions, therefore they have to go on the road on noon, 1 o'clock Eastern, uh, 10 o'clock their time, 10 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. The uh, Chargers will be uh, out in Baltimore playing the 10-6 and uh, AFC North champion, Ravens, and it's the cop-out line for this one. The Chargers are three-point dogs at the Ravens. Interesting here. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to be going with my third dog of the weekend here, so no drama. I'm going to have the Chargers here. <laughs> um, the Chargers get the Ravens now for the second time in three weeks, and the Ravens sort of opened up their eyes. Now, I think that the Ravens were playing for more a few weeks ago. That was sort of the backs of the I mean, the Chargers were sort of, they were locked in. I don't think they ever realistically thought deep, deep down in their heart of hearts, especially with the, the schedule that the, the Chiefs were playing towards the end, that the Chargers were really going to walk somehow into that number one seed. But I think Baltimore opened up their eyes because up until that point, the Chargers had been like, they were they were the hot shit team. They were sort of infallible. Uh, Philip Rivers, you know, had gotten started to get a little bit of that MVP talk, and the Ravens came in there and they they shut them the hell up. I mean, they 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 stifled the Chargers. Uh, Rivers threw a pick right away to start that game. Things just just went off the rails from there. Um, now that game, interestingly enough, Lamar Jackson did not go crazy running the ball. So the Chargers did a good job of containing him. I want to say they they only gave up maybe I want to say 39 or 40 yards to him rushing, and like 27 of those were on one play. So the Chargers did a good job of keeping him in check and sort of holding that down a little bit. The other thing that's interesting to me is the Ravens' second go round this year because they hey, I'm stretching here a little bit, but there's three teams in the league that they've played twice, all the teams in their division. And in all the second go-rounds this year, the Ravens have either – these are the results. Loss, win by two, win by three. So I think the Ravens have shown that they're going to keep this thing close because I don't think they have the offense to, to just blow somebody out. And they kick way too many field goals. And, and this, is a, this is the kind of game when you get into the playoffs, field goals aren't going to win you games. You know, you need some touchdowns. So I have a feeling that this could be a lot of Ravens touchdowns. I mean, a lot of Ravens field goals, but all you need are a couple of Chargers touchdowns. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be tight. But I'm ultimately going to take the Chargers to win this one 14 to 12. That is ugly. <laughs> and, and hard earned, Damn. hard fought, old school football. 
but I think the Chargers get into the end zone a couple of times and the Ravens settle for a lot of field goals, which they do just in general. And I think the Chargers are more ready for them this time. Especially they played them once. They kind of know what to expect. I think the Ravens kind of hit, hit you a little different way because nobody else is playing like the Baltimore Ravens right now. So just the fact that the Chargers have seen this once, I, I don't think they're going to have that shock factor anymore of like, wow, this isn't going to be like a normal football game. This is going to be like a whole different animal uh, playing this team with Deshaun. I mean, not with Deshaun, with uh, Lamar Jackson, who I pat myself on the back did say was going to be the most impactful. Uh, yeah, you say no one's playing football like the Ravens this year. Huh? Boy, howdy, man! Uh, um, small injury yeah. uh, news: uh, Melvin Gordon will uh, be playing. There was concern about his ankle, but he will be active. Uh, so will Austin Eckler, his backup. Uh, Hunter Henry, on the other hand, we still don't know. Uh, despite screaming A. Smith trying to will him into existence, uh, we, we still don't know if he's going to be active uh, for this game on Sunday. Uh, the thumbnail for this is the, the 21-year-old rookie QB who didn't even practice as a quarterback the first half of the damn season uh, is supposed to come out here and, and win his, his first playoff game. Uh, it's a daunting task. It's not impossible, of course, but uh, that, that is quite the daunting Pass for him. Does the Chargers uh, does Ellie get to adjust having played him in Week 16, as you just mentioned? uh, The only team that will see him twice, the first team to see him twice amongst all these NFL teams, will they be able to make an adjustment to him? Uh, Week 17 versus Tennessee uh, in England for the Chargers. I think that proved that that left a a little bit of an impression on me. That proved that the, the Chargers don't care about ball control. Uh, because if you aren't ready to defend, their long bombs are just going to air it out over you. I remember watching that game uh, against the Titans, and the Titans was was trying to grind it out with Derrick Henry and and, uh, Deion Lewis and trying to control the clock and everything. And as soon as Phillip Rivers would touch the ball on the next possession, he'd just go deep to Mike Williams or or, uh, Tyrell Williams or whoever, Keenan Allen, just whoever. He just didn't care. we, We don't need the ball very long. We'll just go beat you like that. And they weren't able to do that against Baltimore uh, in that meeting out in L.A. because the Ravens' defense was so suffocating. So see if they can make some adjustments and do it this time. Uh, yeah, two weekends ago, uh, yeah, the Ravens, that was daunting too, to fly to Carson on a Saturday night, uh, and they smothered them. They they absolutely smothered the Chargers 22-10. to 10. They didn't just outrun the Chargers by 100 yards. Uh, you talked about – Lamar Jackson didn't do as much damage on the ground as he normally does, but he still had his, his tag team partner there, Gus Edwards, and they still uh, outran the Chargers by a good amount. They didn't just outrun them by 100. Lamar Jackson outpassed Phillip Rivers in that game. And I'm going to repeat that because I can't believe I said that. Lamar Jackson outpassed Phillip Rivers in that game. He actually outthrew Phillip Rivers. Uh, some fast and athletic wide receivers – for the Chargers, uh, like I said, they'll just go deep on you. They don't care. But in this game, a couple weekends ago, they didn't deal well at all with the physicality of the Ravens' defense, and Rivers got battered uh, in the pocket. So that combination of the, the DBs sort of beating up the, the skinny wide receivers and not letting them get open and Rivers not having any time to throw uh, and not having anyone getting open to throw too, that was, that was a bad combination. That was a bad game. And something tells me that might be uh, replicable. I I think they can do something similar to that again. Uh, I do have to say that the L.A. being uh, 8-1 on the road, if you count that England game, which was a home date for the Chargers, but that's not a home game, of course, in England. 
Uh, so seven and one on the road, but eight and one if you count London. That that absolutely uh, should put some fear into anyone thinking about taking the Ravens because the Chargers on the road uh, they don't care. They just go out and do what they got to do. And of course, those soccer stadium home games probably feel like road games too. They probably got more road team fans in their uh, soccer stadium in Carson, California, cheering for their opponent and cheering for them. So I don't know if the Chargers really play any game that feels like a home game to them. So this shouldn't feel any different to them, except it is going out east cross country uh, early in the day on Sunday, which is a little unfair when you think about it. Uh, The Ravens, uh, that's the only team, uh, as I told you earlier, with an elite rushing offense and an elite passing defense, just like the Eagles last year, just like Seattle four years ago, who should have won that Super Bowl with beast mode. So that, that, that's that rare combination that you can control everything around. You control the clock. You control the other team's offense. It's really uh, uh, something to have a team that is able to do that. And, of course, they had to do that on the fly. They completely revamped their offense and revamped their entire team uh, halfway through the season. And it still, uh, still kind of makes me shake my head, the fact that they pulled that off. But they did it, and, and they won the division doing that. And now here they are with a home date. Uh, some Lamar Jackson throws have been awful. We have to address that. Lamar Jackson is a dynamic quarterback. He's very fast. He's got those Mike Vick tendencies that he starts going and you can't catch him and you can't do anything about him. And he can zip some throws too. He's got a very powerful arm. He doesn't know where it's going half the time, but he does have a very powerful arm. Some of those throws have been terrible. And even with some of those terrible throws, his yards per average for himself, he didn't just keep up with his predecessor, Joe Flacco. He whipped him. DeMar Jackson averaged 7.1 yards per throw this season. Joe Flacco averaged 6.5. That's why the move was made, folks. This is not controversial. Lamar Jackson was going to be the guy pretty much the whole time. It was very strange the way John Harbaugh sort of handled him in the beginning, uh, running him wide and doing all this wildcat stuff with him. But I think he was just playing around with Flacco and letting him you know, be the man and not try to say, hey, this guy's going to take your job immediately. Uh, he let Flacco sort of play himself out of the role, and then he got hurt, and he never was able to get back on the field. Simplistic, simplistic, just some misdirection concepts and, and really simple football that the Ravens play with Lamar Jackson. Uh, it's, it's their forte now. It's what they do. And it was the Chargers' downfall a couple weeks ago. The defense could not keep up with the simple misdirections, uh, and that's how you get guys like Mark Andrews running wide open for touchdown throws. And I see uh, a lot of the same thing. I I don't really uh, see a reason to pick uh, any different. I think the Ravens are going to do the same thing to the Chargers. I think they manhandled them out in L.A. I don't think that was a fluke, and I think they're going to do the same thing in their house. And, of course, don't forget Phillip Rivers' temperament. When the pressure is on, he turns into a little whiny bitch, and I can see a lot of of that, a lot of whining and a lot of pointing at the referees and trying to officiate the same game in which you're playing, which is never a good way to go. I have Baltimore over the Chargers. I have them covering the three. I have them winning 20 to 10. Oh, all right. And then your X Factor? I just mentioned my X Factor. Mark Andrews, the tight end Mark for the Ravens. Andrews. Had a gorgeous 68-yard touchdown. That was Lamar Jackson's best throw of his career. That is that, the that best throw. That, is, no, that absolutely was his best throw as a pro, without a doubt. Uh, I am going so far off the reservation with my X-Factor for this game that if this hits, I will win X-Factors for all time. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to explain it. You already I'll have with that damn kick returner. Trinidad Holiday, by the way. Yes. Um, no, this Jeez. would beat that. 
because when I throw this out there, you will get all the implications of it. My X factor for this game is Joe Flacco. <laughs> Take that for whatever you want. I don't think you mean him splitting wide and playing some wildcats. I don't. Uh, I no. don't. I see Joe Flacco <laughs> playing in this game tomorrow. Oh, no. Oh, dear. No. I don't think anyone in Baltimore would be very happy about that. And ironically, final... ironically, that Trinden Holiday game was the game that Joe Flacco uh, oh, threw the touchdown. Double overtime. And, yeah, remember that one where he threw it over the top uh-huh. to beat Denver? Um, and yes, I, I had do. that pick. I had that pick, by the way. So I had Trinden Holiday to be the X Factor with his two return touchdowns in the game but I had it on the losing side, which was even better. And I even that's said that you... when I made the X-Factor pick. That's why I think that still holds up. Does that still hold up as the best X-Factor? Yes, you, you won okay. X-Factor for, for life, I think, with that one. <laughs> All right. Hey, this is the – well, this game is nothing. We don't need to talk about this one, right? <laughs> the Eagles and the Bears, the, uh, the world champions from last year in our hometown, Chicago Bears. Yeah. Uh, the 9-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles and his bruised ribs all taped up and ready to go. Uh, biggest spread on the board for this weekend, six-and-a-half point underdogs at the 12-4 and four Chicago Bears. Yeah, well, I'll uh, let you go first, so just leave me some time, yeah. okay? we got ten minutes, so leave me, a few, leave me a couple minutes there at the end. <laughs> I'll absolutely leave you some time because, and I'm not even saying this because we're, we're a little short on time, but this is the one game uh, of these – Four that I knew what my pick was going to be when I saw the uh, when I saw the matchups. Oh wow! So okay. Yeah, the other three I had no idea until today. Those other three I had to sit there and really dig in and break down and then figure out where where I wanted to go. But but this one I already knew. Uh, even the people on NFLPickWatch.com can tell you that this is one that I knew because I've had this locked in as my pick on the site since Tuesday. Uh, there's no doubt where I was going with this one. Uh, Nick Foles and, and all that magic that he had last year, uh, but he bruised up his ribs in, in this game on Sunday in Week 17, and it was it's going to be him. But it was worried for uh, a while that it was, might have to be the third stringer Nate Sudfeld uh, to go into Soldier Field and play this game. But no, it's going to be Foles. He, he's going to uh, take his ribs out there. Um, they're also going to be missing uh, cornerback uh, Sidney Jones. They've got all those defensive back injuries that we talked about uh, before. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be Nick Foles uh, going into Soldier Field against Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears defense. They're going to take a quarterback with bruised ribs and throw him out there against Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears defense. Um, yeah, that, that's that's not going to – go well. I'm sorry. That is just not going to... Uh, we, we got uh, an elite pass defense in, in the Chicago Bears, uh, and uh, again, as I said uh, earlier uh, this year, that they were a subpar pass defense. They were giving up seven and a half yards per throw after the first three or four games. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had a lot to do with that, and they didn't just work their way back into a decent pass defense. They worked their way back into being elite there at uh, 6.3 now uh, yards per throw that they're giving up. And that is absolutely uh, an incredible achievement uh, rebounding from subpar to elite. The half 
postseason rebound was uh, amazing. It was something I can't remember seeing before uh, that they were uh, giving up 6.9 yards per throw after eight weeks and, and got it down to 6.3 by the end of the year. I can't remember uh, a rebound like that uh, in, a, in a long time. Uh, that kind of half season bounce for that. Uh, Philadelphia, I know that they're the eternal underdog, but I just don't see a way this time. But this is not going to be – this shouldn't be close. The, the elite pass offenses – and by the way, the Eagles do qualify as an elite pass offense with what Carson Wentz had done for the regular season. So they come in at 7.6 yards per throw going against an elite pass defense. And those numbers that I was telling you about, elite pass O versus elite pass D in the playoffs. Last year, the defense 5-1 and one straight up when those two meetings happened, uh, those two entities, elite pass offense versus elite pass defense, 5-0-1 oh, against the spread. Three years ago, the defense 4-1 and one straight up, elite pass defense versus elite pass offense, 3-2 and two against the spread. Uh, there were no such meetings in the playoffs last year, so that's why there's no numbers for that. But obviously – Nine and two over the last uh, three years when an elite pass defense meets an elite pass offense. That's what the trend is in the playoffs. You have to go with the defense. And none of those meetings had a, a guy with bruised ribs taking on Khalil Mack. Come on. Uh, no, this is and, – and I'm a homer, so take all of that with a grain of salt. But I'm going with Chicago 26-13. to 13. I got them destroying the Eagles. Well, you know, and it's funny on this one because I totally agree with you straight up and that's where those stats run out of the steam for me i actually like the eagles and the points i think the bears move on this is the only home team i think wins and holds serve this weekend i just think the points are too many i mean the eagles the eagles are going to come up they're, they're gonna they're gonna we saw this with them last year it's like they get into the playoffs and they just they had game plan against atlanta they, they, all the RPOs, all the uh, Nick Foles with the one read quick pass, he's either going to run or he's going to throw they, to negate some of that pressure. Uh, Atlanta was a team that actually could bring a little bit of pressure, and they sort of negated that in that game and, and ended up winning a really low-scoring, close game. And then when they needed to go all bombs out like they did in the, against the Vikings and they did against the against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they had that. So uh, Doug Peterson really, you know, having that extra year of coaching experience over that Bears coaching staff and Mitch Trubisky playing his first game, and this Bears defense as dominant as they were all year, I think might come out a little jacked up, maybe over-pursue a few times, maybe, you know, run by a few rushers or a few, you know, guys running the football. Uh, I don't want to underplay the Eddie Jackson injury. I know he's questionable. Maybe he will go, maybe he won't, but if he's – He's the player. He's the ball hawk in that secondary. And if he's not up to full snuff or able to make plays, he could get run by. And there could be a couple of plays where it's Alshon Jeffrey or Nelson Aguilar or Zach Ertz, somebody over the middle on those little RPO plays. If he's just that step too slow, I could see the Eagles um, not winning the game, but I think they can do enough to keep it close. They've got the, they're, they're the underdogs again. Everything – narrative-wise, lines up for that team. Even though they're the world champs, now they're the underdogs again. It's like, this is what they needed. Like, when they were the world Nobody champs... Nobody believes in us! When they were the world champs and everybody was trying to knock them off, they couldn't... They, they sucked! But then as soon as all of a sudden gave... As soon as everybody gave up on the Eagles, it was like it clicked. Something went off. and like, yeah, this, this, it, it, it went back to, to, the, to, the, to that way. Maybe that's the fuel they needed. But it seems like it works for them. 
Uh, I think six and a half is a lot of points in, in a game where I don't, neither offense I think is really going to be able to do a whole lot. But I think the Bears, I think the Bears actually have to come back and win this game. I think they're losing at halftime. I could see the Bears down like 10-7 at halftime. And, oh, what's wrong with the Chicago Bears? But then I think they pretty much hold them uh, almost scoreless in the second half, and they end up winning the game 17-13. Wow. Uh, I'll agree that uh, Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy will call plays you've never seen. That's guaranteed. Both of them will pull out some play at some point that you go, yep. what? was what? <laughs> never seen that before. And uh, my X factor is going to be that backup safety, Deion Bush. If he has to play a lot in the game and it's not Eddie Jackson back there, I think that could have some impact, especially in that area of the field. Uh, good teams are good enough to know when the star player is not on the other side and they will attack that spot. I think they'll try to test Eddie Jackson early too. For right or for wrong, I think they're going to want to know. If he's out there, what's he got? Uh, Mr. Bruce Ribs isn't going to be able to get the ball too far down the field. He won't have too much time. So uh, I think the one way Philadelphia will possibly compete and cover that spread is if he just wears out Zach Ertz over the middle. So my uh, X factor is the guy that's become uh, a premier possession tight end in the league. 116 catches this year. He broke uh, Jason Witten's record for single season catches by a tight end. Uh, If he, wears out the the linebacker coverage of the Bears and, and just keeps using Zach Ertz over and over again, they can possibly uh, hang in that yeah. game, but and, 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 away otherwise. And in a Bears defense that doesn't have a weakness, if we had to pick out a weakness, it's probably the linebacking core. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not like they're a glaring weakness. We're just saying that in the top unit in the league, and there's three levels on that defense that if I had to rank them one, two, three – they'd be the third. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm thinking if you can attack the Bears, you can attack them in that intermediate middle area. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You got the pro bowler, Kyle Fuller, uh, at the cornerback, and yeah. Prince Mukamara's been playing well on the other side. You got, of course, that uh, defense uh, getting after you with, with Mack and Roquan Smith uh, up front. Uh, the linebacking coverage, yeah, that's that's probably the weak link. That's for sure. Yeah. Some good football, though. I'm excited. We disagree on three games. Yeah, and this isn't you trying to make up ground on me. This is who you really like. No, this is me legitimately. Now, again, I've been sucking on my picks all year, so take that for what it's worth. I mean, not sucking, but not doing as good as you. Because, I mean, you know, 50%, I'm almost at 50%. So, you know, right. again. By by most normal years, you would not be 13 points up on me. If you even even if you were having a decent year, you'd be at like 520, and you'd be like right. five points up on me, right? And in most normal years, um, this has not been a normal year. You have had this an absolutely from start to finish uh, dynamite year. So the the work's cut out for me. But yeah, I don't need to win all three of these against you. I just need to win two. And now my dynamite year continuing to go forward is hinging on a whole bunch of stats and yep. numbers that I brought out and uh, yep. uh, sometimes that doesn't work out for me when I, I get a little too stat heavy so we'll see yeah and, and I actually hope this year's I hope this weekend for you just goes dynamite as in you know like blows up And into our VIP after show program. So the website held up long enough for us to get our picks in. So we got a two yeah. hour 
live part over, but and my cough button, my cough button has gotten a lot of work tonight. You've probably heard me a few times, like loading up. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you've been a yeah. trooper. You hung in there. Yeah, no, so yeah. It, it, at one point, you were in the middle of. Uh, I, I have to apologize because after I had you, you went into your. I went. In, I told you about my spiel with. I think that the teams should have. Uh, the reseeding of the playoffs, and then you went into your spiel about it. I actually put the headphones down at that point because I had to go get some tissue because I had to blow my nose. I had none, so I knew like I could like I, I couldn't tell, but I was listening to the way you were talking. I'm like, okay, he's gonna go for a while. So I actually put the <laughs> headphones down and went in and ran into the bathroom quick and ripped off a bunch of toilet paper and came back out here so I could <laughs> blow my nose. And I picked up the headphones and put them back on, and sure as shit, you were still talking. Still going. Hey, you you know me well. You know when I'm about to start rambling can, and going I can on. I tell forever. you got that loaded up. You were loaded up, so I was like, yeah, this is good for a little bit. This one's not getting thrown back to me for a while. So that wasn't gone that long. It's not. I mean, it's not like I mean, I walked basically from my computer desk through a door around a corner, grabbed some stuff, and then came right back. So I was probably gone for 45 seconds, but I knew I was good. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, thanks you know for me well. On that. So yes, you assisted me out there. Um, <laughs> And didn't even know it. Well, yeah, because, you know, it's not fun doing the show when you got, like, snot streaming down your face. That's not a good yeah. – even though it's just radio, it's still not a good look. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I, I'm really – I'm knocking on wood. I don't have any wood around here, but I should. But I haven't been sick like that in a couple years now. My wife keeps getting sick. Oh. She was sick before the cruise. She's, now we're, she was fine during this cruise. Now we're back, and she's sick again, so – yeah, uh, but none none of this seems to be touching me. I, I have no really no idea why. But. Well, you know, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, at least in our house on this one, like my kids don't have a cold. My wife doesn't really seem to have anything. But over the last you know four or five days, every day, you know, you know when you're getting it, right? You start to get the aches, mm-hmm. and then you don't put it all together, and then the cold hits you, and you're like, oh, that's why I've been so so achy for the last few days. Yeah. So sure enough, I was uh, like, I went through this period of just kind of like general soreness for a few days. Like, oh man, why is my neck hurt? Oh man, why is my shoulder hurt? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get it. like the sinuses. Like, you're starting to feel all clogged. Today, I was driving home from work tonight before the show, and it, it really just started hitting me. So I was like, okay, well, at least it's here. It got me, you know. So I haven't I'll put just, you out of commission yet. No, I'll, I'm still kicking. I'm still on the show. I'm still. I mean, I can talk. I, mean, I didn't lose my voice yet. That's usually the next thing, right? You start to drip down. And, uh. Right. But we don't, you know, now that now that we're just doing the one, you know, we have what one more next week will be another uh, Friday show, and then we're on to a couple of Saturday shows for the for the rest of the playoffs. That's right. I'll be uh, ten o'clock Central again for next Friday. You'll be working again, I, I presume. Yes. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I was. I had to hit. I had to unmute myself there because I was blowing my nose. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I probably need to let you go. Is uh, the condition that you're in? Uh, well, I gotta. I, I gotta I, be up. I gotta be up in six hours to go to work. So that's. I'm looking forward to that. I'm off on Sunday. They mercifully gave me my birthday off. So I'll be home. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I get to be old like you now. I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so what is it? So is forty any forty three any different? You know, you know, same as forty two. Uh, I don't know if it's the age, but here's what's different: is man, I got back on the treadmill after I got back from the cruise, and I had to get off because I'm like, I am not feeling this right now. 
Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I was so out of shape. I, 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 I went hard on that cruise as far as eating and, and not <laughs> working out and not doing anything. And I, I really relaxed hard. I relaxed too hard, as it turned out. Cause yeah. Well, you I were got up on that trip. Like, you were getting, you getting your lifts in, right? You know, lifting lift uh, that spoon, lifting that fork, lifting that sandwich. Yes, the, the, the French toast on my fork to my mouth was being lifted, absolutely. <laughs> Good French um, toast. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming everything is good on a cruise, right? Yeah, it better be, right, for all the money we're paying. Um, well, you hear all the stories, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, you can get bad food anywhere, uh, even a cruise, but oh, we, yeah. we I, know the we, we know the places that we, we know not to go to the breakfast buffet line and get the reconstituted eggs, uh, the scrambled oh. eggs, so there's really eggs. We know We know better than to do that. We'd never do that. So you can get garbage if you if you're looking for garbage. Uh, we know not to go to the dessert menu on the on the buffet line because all it is is you know uh, like chocolate yeah. jello and and things Ooh. of that nature. Yeah, I I am, you know, I'm so anti buffet. I'm not a big yeah. buffet eater. I mean, I, you know, it was hard for me to eat at that buffet when we were in Vegas, but that was so good. I threw out all my rules about buffets. Vegas buffets are a different animal. Because that's fifty dollars, right? When, when you're paying fifty <laughs> bucks to go eat at a buffet, I mean the stuff that they were making, I mean the stuff that I was eating off the buffet line in Vegas and when we were at uh, Paris, right? That's where we went to the. Oh buffet. yeah, yeah. We were at Paris because that was right before we all went up and froze our asses up on the Eiffel Tower without jackets, <laughs> like a bunch of dumbasses in January. But that was the one that my wife said, look, this is the one I heard we should go to. And it was just, I mean, the stuff that I was eating on that was better than what I go and get at, like, normal sit-down where they prepare the food for you restaurants. That was just amazing. I agree. I still think about the crepes at Paris and how oh. great they were. Well, they had, like, you could choose between savory and sweet. And it's like, right. and then every station there was, like, a chef, like, making you food. To me, that's not a buffet. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's just a much better quality of buffet than we usually get. Yeah. So no, I was that was I I threw out my buffet, and then we and then we had the breakfast buffet at the Harrah's, and almost all my buffet rules came back to me. <laughs> Shout different. out to Harrah's. We, we we enjoyed our time at Harrah's. We did. Just... We did. We loved we loved giving that place a lot of our money playing ultimate poker. Ah. <laughs> uh. So, you know, I was I, telling I you, talk about... my, mom, uh, my mom had her surgery, right? So I got to go, you know, there's this casino that she gets us a room at when I have to take her up there for her doctor appointments. Consequently, I have to go back up there on Monday night. And I was walking by and they had an ultimate table. Oh, my. Oh, and it was open one time. And I was like, oh, I was just like, do I do it? Do I try it? I had like 40 bucks on me. I was like, nah, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Oh. One, I didn't even remember how to play it. I'm sure they would have told me, but I, I couldn't even remember how to play it. But I just remember how much fun we had doing that at, like, wee hours of the morning in Vegas. Yeah. Well, I didn't talk about it on the uh, the sort of cruise recap show, but I, I played for you. I, I, I sat okay. down uh, on the cruise. Uh, they gave it a new name. It, it was called uh, Heads Up Hold'em, not Ultimate. Um, not too many differences except for you can't, you couldn't put the four times the amount on the first bed. You can only do three. Um, I don't know if there's too many other differences at all there uh, from the game that we were playing. 
Um, so I played for us, and uh, it didn't go well. Oh, okay, um, good. Good to know. So two different times I played. Both times it was a new girl dealer and new table, and the deck was right there in front of me, so she had to scramble it and shuffle it and mix it up and everything. So it wasn't like a, a game that I was jumping in the middle of. It was just me and her uh, and, and no one else at the table. And both times uh, she took my money in five minutes, both a different girl each time. Uh, one time uh, she wow. pulled pocket aces in the hole. Oh, nice. Um, Another time she made a straight on me. Um, it, it was unbelievable. Like, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that she mixed up those cards in front of me for a full minute and then switched the deck on me and pulled out the cards that they had marked because that was just some of the beats that I was taking were, were just horrible. Uh, so I, I played for you and, and did not have a, okay. a good experience. Well, you know, that's what I remember from that game was, like, you'd win with terrible hands, right? Sure. You would just win with the world. It's like in real poker. I mean, you would win with some just junk. And then you'd think you had, like, this crazy payout awesome hand, and then the dealer would beat you, and you're like, no. Right. Like, come on. Really? They'd get, they'd get the one card. Like, if you're watching the World Series of Poker, you know, you had the 98% chance, and they had the two. And every time <laughs> they had the 2% chance, they got the one card they needed to knock you out. He's only got three outs in the whole deck. Oh, there it is! <laughs> I could. Oh God, who 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 was the was it Norm something or other? I could always hear him talking. Oh, Norm Chad, yeah. Yeah, I could hear him talking because he was the guy they had doing the the, the voice quote unquote voiceover work, and you know none of that was done live. That was as live as Al Michaels no. with the Miracle on Ice right there. <laughs> It can't be live uh, uh, by rule. They can't even broadcast it live because there's too many ways to get right. the players' information. So they they actually can't be live. Which is funny though that then you're watching commentating of a taped event. It's like huh? of something that happened 15 minutes ago, right? Yeah, that they're commentating on or commentating over. Maybe not even mm-hmm. there. They could be commentating on it from anywhere. That, that's true. Uh, they, the commentary might be live as it's being shown to you on TV. It's just that it happened already. Right. No, I always get the sense that they're just doing, like, voiceover talent almost. Uh, Yeah, uh, there's some of that. Uh, They they may not be, like, right there on the uh, the table. Uh, Right. But I think they're they're there. I just... I I know that it can't be uh, live because of information being transmitted. I don't care enough to investigate. (laughs) I just hear it every now and then when I watch it. But uh, when they talk about, uh, oh, boy, when that bluff that so-and-so pulled, when, when the other guy goes back in an hour and, and is able to watch the replay of that, he's going to be really mad. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So they, apparently they go back when they take the little 15-minute breaks every hour, they go and watch the footage oh, that was aired sure. of what happened oh, so they can get no. some that's how they get information. But they have to wait. They can't get that information as the game is going on. Cause oh, of course. there. So, so when you are playing, you don't know you got bluffed, but obviously, right. eventually, you will know. Eventually, you'll watch the TV uh, footage of it and go, "Oh, that son of a bitch had two seven and and went all in on me." Oh my god! <laughs> I had I had pocket kings and he bluffed me with a five nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, but that happens. Uh, you don't have to see. You don't have no. If you want to see someone else's cards, you got to pay to see them. Exactly. That's the beauty of the game what I like about uh, so, it. So. 
I will let you go, but uh, the one thing I did want to ask you about real quick before it gets yeah. too stale, it's already kind of stale, um, is that uh, magically out of nowhere, uh, because of the Veterans Committee, Players Committee, what have you, for the Baseball Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, we found out that all this time in Chicago growing up, we were watching Hall of Fame players and didn't even know it. Lee Smith and Harold Baines. We were watching Hall of Famers. How, how do you feel about knowing that you were now watching a Hall of Fame closer when you were a kid and Lee Smith and, and a Hall of Fame right fielder DH and Harold Baines? I, I didn't think either one of them. And one's a Cub and one's a Sox, <laughs> right? One, you know, so it's not like I'm hating on one over the other. I don't. I didn't think I was watching a Hall of Famer with either of them. Neither did I. And, and watching MLB Network this week and watching because they have nothing to talk about, so they just all the stat heads want to break down guys. They're trying to throw garbage at me like Lance Berkman should be considered for the Hall. No, Lance <laughs> Berkman not a Hall. Scott Lance Berkman. Scott Rowland is not a Hall of Famer. You know, and this is why I'm like, you know, they got to put, they got to start putting in some of the, they got to put in Clemens, they got to put in Bonds, right? They, they got to start putting some of these guys in. Oh because no, we can't put them in. Oh god, we got to put in Harold Rose, Baines, put in Pete Rose. If you're gonna put in Harold Baines and Lee Smith, and, and players <laughs> that were beloved in the city of Chicago, right? Lee Smith, the closer on that '84 team. Uh, Harold Baines was like just clutch. I mean, he was a true clutch hitter at a sweet swing. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, played great for your White Sox for many, many years. But Harold Baines is not a Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame. The the thought of Harold Baines on the same, in the same room as Frank Thomas, who actually is a Hall of Famer. And I watched <laughs> both of them growing up, and no, <laughs> I love Harold, but no. Not even yeah. close. So do, do, do they just get up there at the podium with the mask and the gun? Thank you. Or is that their Appreciate plaque? it. Should well, that be their, like, their plaque? Their plaque will just have the Bandito mask on, you know? Every time they get money for putting HOF on any autograph, they need to have a, a ski mask and a gun. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get to that and, and point that out. Just the, no have reason a new to take. Call it, they can call it the masked inductee, right? <laughs> Because they're pulling this BS with the masked singer, they could have somebody go up there with the ski mask on and give the Hall of Fame speech, and then and then a panel of who they have to guess who it was. I I, I think it was Jim Rice. That's who I think it was. <laughs> Another guy I did not think was a Hall of Famer when I was watching. Let's see who it is. Oh, it's Harold Baines. Oh my God. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. We all love Harold. I, Harold Baines. Baines. Yeah, the Harold Baines. Is not, didn't, didn't Tony La Russa like get into it with somebody over that? Right, because he's on the committee. He's part of the committee that voted him in, and it's obvious the way he's always talked about Harold. You know, throughout his life and throughout his career, that yeah. you know he had a lot of influence in that room to vote him in, and somebody on. Uh, MLB Network uh, was trying to uh, was trying to challenge him on there. Maybe someone on ESPN. I don't even remember who, but yeah, he got all salty about it because Tony Roos is a, a red ass anyway. Uh, right. Yeah, he, and he deserves to. This is just, and I'm I'm not going to get hot about it, but I'm just pointing it out just to reinforce why I don't take Halls of Fame seriously. Yeah. Which How is why we have serious? a Hall of Infamy. This is why we have our own, almost to poke fun at. At that, yeah, no, Harold Baines. I could see him in like the White Sox Hall of Fame, 
Okay. Right. Exactly. Sure. But not Retired to MLB Hall of Fame. Number retired for the White Sox, baby. You could do that. Oh, not only is his number retired, uh, they had to bring it. They, they, they thought he was, when they traded him to Baltimore, they thought he was gone forever and he came back. They had to take his number down off the wall to put it back on his back. To give it back to him? Uh-huh. They, they retired it too soon. Yeah, so I, I get that. He deserves all the accolades within the franchise, and he can have all those things and be on the Ring of Honor and and, and have his number retired to do all that. Harold Baines, I, I was not watching a Hall of Fame player. Is George who, – who's, who's next? Rod Kittle? I almost said George Kittle. Rod Kittle? <laughs> <laughs> One of those Kittles. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of Kittles in sports. I think I just named them both. And you named the one that's definitely more uh, recently on your mind. Yeah, that was like Family Feud. Name a famous kill in sports. There's two answers on the board. (laughs) Kittle period. I don't. I don't know any other Kittles at all besides Ron and George. That's it. I just won. I won. I won Kittle (laughs) sports trivia. Congratulations. Uh, and, and watching Lee Smith uh, the, for all those you know, saves that he got for the Cubs, which uh, they were all kind of interesting, too. He, he never really seemed to get any clean saves, either. But, the guy, but yeah, that was a Hall of Fame closer. That, that's true. I guess Rod Beck's going to be the next to go in. <laughs> um, Shooter. <laughs> but, I mean, all those all those Cubs, especially like that 84 team, you know, I mean, there's Hall of Famers. There's legitimate Hall of Famers on those teams, and then Dawson coming later. You know, legitimate Hall of Fame players. Lee Smith was not one of them. Next to Dawson and Ryan Sandberg and, and, and Rick Sutcliffe. Well, yeah. No, Sutcliffe's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, I but could Sandberg see Rick is. Sutcliffe in the Hall of Fame before Lee Smith. Yeah, me too. I mean, Maddox is not in the that... Hall of Fame, but he came a little later. You know, but yeah, I I don't know. Somebody must have been like, well, maybe he was a pioneer of closers or some BS like that. And, you know, if it wasn't for Lee Smith, you don't have Mariano or for that long list of closers that's in the Hall of Fame. I guess we needed another one. I, just thinking of the closers around that time frame in the early 80s that he wasn't as good as. He wasn't Suter. as good as Bruce Suter. But as I was about to say, Bruce Suter is the one that really comes to mind. Is Bruce Suter in the Hall of Fame? I. I don't even care enough to know. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I actually don't know. But, but he's, <laughs> he's certainly not better than at, at least one. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be our show. It wouldn't be our after show for sure if we didn't shit all over someone's Hall of Fame. Because <laughs> Hall of Fame are jokes. They are all jokes. Uh, so, so anybody who's ever listened to one of our Hall of Fame or Hall of Infamy inductions now understands it's all just a big joke. Hall of Fame. Think about the words fame. Hall of Fame. Harold Baines walking down any street outside of the south side of Chicago, Illinois, is not being recognized by anybody. He's not famous for anything. He is not a Hall of Famer. Stop it. <laughs> he could be in the Hall of really good baseball players. But yeah, that would be a really Carlos Beltran and a bunch of other, and Lance Berkman and a bunch of other people. Lance Berkman. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I, knew, I knew I could get you riled up with that. Yeah, you can get 10 good minutes on. No matter how, I could be on my deathbed, you start bringing up crap like that. <laughs> probably, 
probably get 10 more minutes of life out of me, and then I'll keel over. Yeah, let me tell you about that stupid Hall of Fame. All right, so our football party is over. The real football party begins tomorrow at 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central with Texas and football. The only game we agree on. Football. The only game That's we agree true. on. So we get to enjoy that, and then the tension begins. Playoff football starting tomorrow. We're all going to enjoy that. All right, you get better and enjoy your birthday. He is Jay. I am Dre. This has been In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back next Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. No, 10 p.m. Central, 11 p.m. Eastern to make our picks for the divisional round conference semifinals when those Four teams that have the better records, uh, yeah, those, that should be really fun the, when, when the Chiefs and the Rams and all those guys stand up and take their spots. Uh, should be really good. Enjoy your playoff football tomorrow, and we'll talk to you again Friday night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.